For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Talk about all sorts of addictions in this country, whether it's alcohol or various drugs, prescription or indeed uh, opioids that are uh, abused, heroin, cocaine, crack cocaine, fentanyl on the way. But don't forget about gambling. There's a front page article on the examiner this morning and inside the examiner also, in fact, uh, some of the red tops carry it because there's a report out now uh, from the ESRI that says one in 10 adults are either problem gamblers or are reporting gambling has caused multiple problems in their lives. It's very, very stark. St. John of God's back it up, say the figure confirms that we have a public health emergency with regards to uh, gambling. People under 50 years of age have the highest rates of problems and people in their 30s, um, you can hone it down into them being the highest rate if you were to look at a decade. But problem gamblers are reported now, according to the examiner this morning, to be spending over €1,000 on average per month on gambling. And problem gambling is less widespread amongst women than men. Um, and it's less problematic, again, among those with higher levels of education. Now, that story is picked up by uh, the Red Tops today, where they give an example of a former private school pupil over in Limerick, a 22-year-old. He became a money mule because he'd run up a large gambling debt and he was before the court because of it. Apparently, it was estimated that he uh, lost, he gambled and lost over 500,000 euro in bets from his smartphone. Uh, don't know how he, he managed to do that, uh, really, that kind of money. Uh, one, you know, they're giving examples of one day he'd be up 20 grand, the next day he'd be down 20 grand, and it went on and on and on, the nightmare of it. And, and, and smartphones and apps and the, pl- the proliferation of gambling ads on television in particular um, around sports, all kinds of sports, it's actually very, very worrying because you, you could have just so many uh, ad breaks within... I mean, you, no matter what you watch, like it could be any kind of sport now, particularly uh, if you're looking at uh, some of the content on Sky, is just really just hammering away at people. And I, and I know they put up small little warnings about gamble responsibly and call this helpline and everything, but I think they're obliged to do that, aren't they? Paperwise, also your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. Front page making the mail today talks about the fact that we now have nearly 900 fewer Gardaí in Ungarda Shikona than we did in 2020. And you're looking at more and more just quitting. 114 have left the force uh, since the start of the year and dozens more will depart in the coming weeks alone. And they think there'll be an extra amount going because of the roster row and the Drew flu that they're talking about. So record numbers of resignations this year um, in all ranks, um, you know, at all sorts of different levels. Uh, It's very worrying, actually. Uh, What's equally worrying is with less and less Gardee and the worry about something that may well be planned for budget day around Leinster House. They're going to have to bring in Gardee, like a, you know, around 100 officers from rural towns and villages to help police Dublin, which I think is quite extraordinary because if you've ever been to Dublin, that's one thing that you do see an awful lot more of, uh, and that is Gardee on the beat, uh, or indeed uh, squad cars going around, and they're still apparently short. If, if you're following the inquest into the death of the 48 people who died when the fire swept through the Artane nightclub, the Stardust, uh, on Valentine's Day, 1981. It dominates the papers every single day. 
uh, it's a very sad story regarding the Stardust tragedy in the Sun this morning where they say that half of the people killed in the Stardust tragedy were found near three fire ex- exits. I mean, just that sentence alone would absolutely break your heart. 24 died and the allegation is because the fire exits were locked when the fire ignited um, and that... Uh, that inquest continues uh, in, in uh, all of the papers this morning, but I remember it, and if you're of the same age as me, I remember it like as if it was only last year. I really and truly do. It was absolutely tragic. story I mentioned there with Rory, of course, is, first of all, the World Cup in, 30, in 2030. They're saying it's absolutely bonkers. You will have the World Cup in 2030 played on three different continents. They think it's all over. You couldn't make this up, etc., etc., etc. Europe, Africa and South America are the three different continents. So there's a lot involved in this story because games will be played in Spain, Portugal, Morocco, Uruguay, Argentina and Paraguay. And the distance, say, between Spain and Argentina is like 10,500 kilometres. Uh, so the teams and the fans if you want to follow it and you're a serious fan you'll be jetting across three different continents meanwhile as mentioned 2028 uh, for the Euros Ireland the UK and the UK will get the Euros 2028 and it's thought that Dublin's Aviva Stadium and the planned Casement Park in Belfast are listed among the 10 confirmed venues across Ireland and the UK Um, so I suppose we'll sparkle and it won't be all that bad to shine a light on Ireland you know in that regard but the cost of it because everything goes up in Ireland the only thing that comes down is the rain so the Irish Times this morning are saying uh, that the cost of Ireland's bid to co-host the Euros in 2028 originally was put at 65 million they're figuring that it could be anywhere closer to 93 million now they continue to scrutinise it but I wouldn't be surprised if that went into six figures well actually over 100 million and then some as time goes on is there anybody following or have you heard the story it's not making the papers it's one of the online stories that I saw this morning regarding Kevin Keegan Uh, now Keegan was the England manager between 1999 and 2000 he made 63 appearance for the English team, scored 21 goals uh, from 1972 to 1982 and in his own right was a cracking player. But he's got into a bit of hot water. He's doing some some tour and some talks at the moment. It's called An Evening with Kevin Keegan, OBE. Uh, and he was offering his thoughts on punditry um, and also soccer commentary. So the punditry would be those on the panel before at halftime and after the game. And he said, with regards to uh, women in sport, or indeed women pundits, he says, I'm not as keen, I've got to be honest, and it may not be a shared view, but I don't like to listen to ladies talking about the England's men's team at the match because I don't think it's the same experience. He says, I have a problem like that. Um, I wonder if he's okay with women pundits talking about the women's game but he doesn't want them talking about the men's game. Uh, Incidentally he was also very critical of not just punditry but also those who were commentating on the matches. He said they talk too much. He says they should let the pictures do the talking. Pundits now talk too much. He says, I worked with Brian Moore, who was the best commentator of them all. And he said at the World Cup final, he said to me, Kevin, don't talk too much. Let the pictures do the talking. I know you put your headphones on, um, but um, it, it, it really is a kind of a dinosaur offensive old fashioned view to have at this stage. When you look at some of the incredible pundits that we have, I don't know. I don't know so much about the UK, but I do know 
Gabby Logan, who is a superstar. And we've got lots then here on this side of the water in soccer and some great female GAA pundits. Yeah, we have some crap ones too. Like, let's be honest, on both men and women's side, there are some good pundits and there are some crap pundits. I mean, I'd much rather take an Alex Scott over, uh, let's say, a Michael Owen. Um, or, you know, I mean, I was watching Arsenal, the Arsenal game Wednesday, it was, uh, it was Martin Keown and Michael Owen. It was like dumb and dumber, to be honest. Doing they just shouldn't be doing it. They're, they're just, they're just, well, it's just because their faces, they're well known, but they've nothing to say. Yeah, and it's just, it's, it's like, it's like, well, in my time, 20 years ago, we who's, did this. Yeah, you know, it's like, well, that's not relevant. With Keane. Alan Shearer is brilliant. Roy Keane is brilliant. Uh, Keane is good. Micah Richards is on McKean. I'm not a big fan of Micah Richards personally. Okay. He does the whole oh, banter thing, but like, I don't know. Again, again like he's kind of a, he's he's almost on there because he's kind of like that star quality as opposed to being a really uh, somebody who's really knowledgeable about football. Yeah, know? but Keegan's uh, Keegan's out of line, right? I think I think saying that he's an issue with women commenting on men's sports is definitely out of line. But I I can understand why people feel that there's a whole new breed of female pundits being parachuted in, and not all of them are particularly great. Now some of the ones they're pushing out aren't particularly great either. But I can understand that is what's a, the that, motivation behind that? That's a well equality. Well, that's what people would say. But then when you look at like uh, you know like let's say the Sunday game, you see an All Ireland Camogie quarter final, you're very unlikely to see. A man among the panel there so people would say that it's imbalanced I mean my feeling about it is if somebody's knowledgeable about their topic it, and matter about they, sex? it doesn't matter okay. But, okay. but that goes both ways you shouldn't just be bringing in women for the sake of bringing in women you, sh- you shouldn't be bringing in men for the sake of bringing in men but like I said I mean some of the pundits we've had I mean I remember when Hansen and Lawrenson used to do match of the day and they he, were awful he, like at the end they were just they were awful yeah, no, you hard like, to beat the Brady Dunphy uh, ah, yeah. with Giles and, in its uh, heyday. But even I think by the by the time it kind of got to the end of that, I was kind of you know over I was, it. Uh, okay. I was kind of a okay. bit, it was it was getting a bit stale. I think. Okay, let's get the punters' thoughts on this. You guys uh, text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. If you're listening to this, pick up the phone on oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. How long is this uh, nonsense going on up in McCartan Street? And can somebody please tell me is Devonshire Street, Leitrim Street, and that areas is that open to? traffic now or is it still completely closed because of all of the work I'm told it's still closed because of the work that's going on there all the road works they say it all has to do with um, um, to eventually make it uh, a much better place for people to shop and I suppose to cycle and to drive through and for buses to be able to get around. But I imagine if you're in the VQ quarter that you must be absolutely tearing your hair out, whatever hair you have, with regards to a uh, issue regarding retail sales. It's a front page of Making the Echo today. The retailers are concerned up there. They're saying it could be mid-December uh, which means that if it is later than that, they're going to lose a huge amount of business with the run-up to Christmas because it is just dragging on and people are disinclined to shop on the street. It probably doesn't impact so much nighttime trade there, uh, but it certainly would be if you were lugging bags or trying to buy stuff on McCurtain Street. So that's a front page you're making the echo today. Interestingly, in the property section of the Examiner, there is a very interesting purchase. Uh, and if you looked... If you looked at Driscoll's or Driscoll's Pub, Boyle Sports and the Rose Garden China uh, Chinese, years ago that was just one big O'Driscoll's Pub, but it was broken up into different sections. O'Driscoll's, Boyle Sports and the Chinese. But they're all for sale now uh, as one lot, the trio, which includes the pub. And it's on the market for 1.2 million euro. Now, there was a time in the crazy days when that would have been on the market for 5 million Maybe more than that. Maybe I'm being a little bit conservative. 
but that's what it's on the market for for now uh, these three units going as one lot um, and while Dublin you know something I, they, they absolutely torment me they really and truly do and I see stories like this here it is it says in this morning's Red Tops uh, I think it's the star Dublin has been named the fourth friendliest city in the world and the third friendliest city in Europe and the next paragraph says Meanwhile, the same survey has named Cork as the second friendliest city in Europe. Surely be to God, that story should read, Cork has been named the second friendliest city in Europe and Dublin has been named the fourth friendliest city in Europe, to be fair. But nah, they twist it. And then there's a tiny little one then making the um, sun this morning. Cork second friendliest. It's like... The actual article itself is probably the size of your thumb. So they torment you. Uh, the way they twist everything to suit Dublin. I know I'm going off on one, but there it is nonetheless. Papers talk of it today. Oh, listen, um, they're, they're saying that Ryan Tuberty still hasn't paid back the €150,000 Renault Dosh. Why would he pay it back? I mean, there was no law broken here. This is not. There was no criminality involved in it. The guy lost his job. Why in the name of God would they suggest for a moment that he should now give back the hundred and fifty grand? to RTE. I mean, get a grip. Tubbs holds on to the late, late dough. Of course he has. There's another one then that talks about the late, late show itself. The amount of negativity since the show restarted um, is um, quite alarming because now we've got the examiner saying that the senior producer has quit only four weeks into the new season. So the late, late show has been rocked by the departure of its most senior producer, four weeks in. The examiner says sources close to the show said that there's been tension behind the scenes during the first few weeks of the season, including tension between the host, Patrick Keelty, and the senior producer, uh, Jane Murphy, over issues including guests and Keelty's appearance on Friday's episode dressed as a jockey on a mechanical horse. (laughs) I didn't see that. But it's a fairly handy entry, isn't it? But nonetheless, there it is. Uh, Hopefully they'll get some positive vibes in the coming weeks when everything settles down. You're watching the story coming out of the UK at the moment, Rishi Sunak. He is now saying they're going to ban cigarettes in the UK. This is the Conservatives. And you think you think Michal Martin with the smoking van? That's only in the Hapney place with regards to what they're planning in the UK. They're saying in the English Times this morning that no one who is now under the age of 14 will ever be allowed to buy tobacco um, and it will save more lives than any other decision this government could ever make. Every single year now, they plan to increase the age at which you can buy a box of fags. So if you were born, um, um, you know, in and around 2008, they're saying, you'll never be able to legally buy a packet of cigarettes. The phased out ban of cigarettes, never mind your vapes, they're going after the fags. The papers also, if you've got an electric car, anybody had issues with your electric car in, in 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 the sense of not being able to stop it? I know there are other issues, of course, and people are worried about battery life and battery overheating or whatever. There's a story you make in the uh, mirror this morning that says a terrified driver was kidnapped in his runaway electric car at 50 kilometres an hour. Actually, he's got an MG ZS EV electric vehicle. And I saw a review of those, a couple, that car a few weeks ago, and it was, I mean, it just got a fantastic glowing review. review. But your man couldn't stop it. You know, he just couldn't stop the car, just in spite of pushing the brake and trying to put on the handbrake. He says it was completely trapped inside of it. It was going 50 kilometres an hour. Uh, This is in Glasgow. He eventually called 999 and the only way he was able to stop it was by purposefully 
purposely driving it into back into the back of a police van. Other than that, it wouldn't have stopped. And he was going round roundabouts now. He had to go around roundabouts and everything, and in and out of traffic at 50 kilometres an hour. And one or two other ones for you before I park it for today. Joe Biden's dog, Commander, has got his eviction papers from the White House. This is a story that's been rolling on for a while now. There's been 10 attacks in one year. Sorry, I'm wrong. October, November, December and January. In four months, he bit bit 10 people. And he's only gone and bit another female officer recently. And enough is enough. The dog commander has been removed from the White House after biting agents and staff. He is um, a two-year-old German shepherd. And he continues to attack members of the U.S. Secret Service. He doesn't like th- he doesn't like the Secret Service or people in uniform or whatever the case may be. But there's a serious side to it. I mean, for staff, it's got to be a worrying thing, you know, trying to go about your work in your workplace where there's always the risk that you're going to be bitten by the president's dog. Somebody asked me this morning when we were chatting about that, would would commander be actually put down? I would say highly, highly unlikely, wouldn't you? And then there's one other story um, in the world gone mad. There's a couple of restaurants over in um, uh, in Brittany. Two of them. And they have recently introduced an unusual charge for diners. They've put a fiver surcharge or a fine, if you like, on diners who leave food on their plates after they've finished eating. I mean, when you hear it like that, you think, that's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. But when you continue to dig into the story, it becomes quite interesting. It's substantial amounts of food left on their plate. They have all-you-can-eat buffet restaurants, right? All-you-can-eat. And they can seat hundreds. But they're finding that way too many people are piling food on the plate, piling more and more food on the plate, taking it back and just eating and leaving loads of it on the plate. And it's awful food waste, apparently. Um, So the buffets which by their very nature encourage you to pile it high, pile them high mentality among diners. It's a bit the same if you have a buffet breakfast in a hotel. I quite like them. You'd have an awful lot more food at those buffet breakfasts than you never would normally. And who amongst us doesn't leave at least some of it? So they put a fiver fine now if you leave substantial amounts of food on your plate at these all-you-can-eat buffets because unfortunately our eyes are bigger than our bellies but there's one or two other changes actually in food and food service over in Lake Como in Italy they put a two euro surcharge for cutting a sandwich in half where two diners wanted to share the same sandwich so it was two euro on that and then over in northern Italy they added one euro fifty to the bill when somebody asked for an extra teaspoon to allow the couple to enjoy the one dessert. <laughs> so two people share one dessert, it'll cost you an extra euro, euro 50. And finally for now, another restaurant again in Italy on the Riviera put an extra two euro charge when a woman asked for an extra plate, a small plate to allow her child to taste some of her food. <laughs> I mean... It's almost like it's almost like inviting people, you know, discouraging people to ever want to come back to your restaurant ever again. Has anybody ever had stories like that, actually? Crazy extra charges. I remember actually years and years ago uh, asking for a little bit of extra bread for one of the kids because we actually had some other kids with us. One was a very picker, picky eater and just didn't eat much different types of food but loved bread. Uh, and um, there was a charge for the bread anyway in the first place. I think it was like €2.50 uh, to put the 
bowl of bread onto the onto the um, onto the plate or onto a little bowl of it, you know, the basket of it. And I think there was an extra charge then of another two euro fifty when we asked for a little bit more because that's what one of the kids ate. Another person once told me a story. They went to a, a, a restaurant bar and sat up at the bar and was chatting away and getting on very well with the owner. And the owner says, "Why, why don't you? Would you like a glass of champagne? Uh, you know, before you sit down." The 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 impression given, of course, to the two people that came in was that it was a gift and it was on the house, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was a form of upselling, or you know, maybe some kind of gouging. It didn't go. It didn't go down well, though. Yeah, and if they and if they do say to you, "Would you like bread?" Always bear in mind, always bear in mind that it's not a gift. You will be charged for it. Winner of two goals at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. You know, I was talking yesterday on the air about uh, different topics of conversation and at one stage I was talking with um, Kate Durant about her husband who has vascular dementia and she put it so beautifully, uh, her relationship with the husband and the love of her husband and, the, the you know, the change in her husband that she sees gradually over the months and years. Carol actually said, listening to that beautiful lady Kate speaking about her husband's illness, puts everything into perspective. She had such an admirable, positive attitude to such a sad situation and the world could do with millions like her. And I wish her the best of peace, health and happiness for her, her husband and family. That's beautifully put, Carl. Thank you for that. But during the conversation, I did mention to Kate that during the week, I caught up with Brian Murray and his partner, Una Crawford O'Brien. Now, Brian lives with uh, Alzheimer's and went public on it about a year or so ago. He's an eternal optimist and he's 73 years old, going on 74. I mean, his television, his film and his theatre life uh, is just extraordinary um, over the past 50 odd years. And we know him from Strumpet City, from the Irish RM, from Brookside, from Silent Witness, The Bill, Glen Rowe, and of course, uh, Fair City. Um, but I caught up with them during the week just for a chat about he living with Alzheimer's and Una also, um, you know, obviously clearly in love with Brian and helping him and sharing his life after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Now, Una and Brian, I mean, you both have very powerful and well-known and respected acting careers. But, Brian, do you mind me just asking you, actually, firstly, I'm a huge fan and have been for many, many years, going back to the Irish RM and even further back to to Strumpet (laughs) City when you played... uh, Exactly. Wasn't it Fitz in Strumpet City? Oh, yeah, uh, Fitz and Mary. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that wasn't today nor yesterday, but probably some of your... Yeah, but probably some of your finest work. And from there to the Irish RM and Brookside and Silent Witness and The Bill and Glen Rowe, do you ever pinch yourself and think of all of that that um, that volume of work? I, I, I have people, you know, people come around, uh, or, you know, when you're out somewhere or another, and you don't expect it to happen. But people say, "Are you the man from your man from the telly?" Oh, God, and it gives me the list that you've just given me. You know what I mean? And 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 you, you, it has to be like that. You yeah, know what I mean? In yeah, a way, yeah. it, it, it has to be particularly with television now. I mean, I came into the I came into the acting business through Cyril Cusack because uh, as a young lad, a very young lad um, in his uh, late teens, desperate, desperate, wanting me to be an actor and not knowing how you go about becoming an actor. You were actually, I, I believe, um, an apprentice electrician. I mean, you you came from a I tenement. 
you a very humble tenement background, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. In Island Bridge, we live. We live down in the alley in, in in Sarah Place. That's where we lived without no running water and no indoor toilets. It was all that stuff. And uh, and I was at, at, at just about coming up to the to the stage where the light went on in my head, and that was when RTE opened up for the very 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 first time, and we got our television from Kelly Rents. Do you remember? I Kelly do. You paid by the week. You paid by the week. That's it. That's what working <laughs> folks did then, and I'm sure they still do it now. <laughs> Even chatting with you now, as somebody who who lives with Alzheimer's. It's 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 amazing your power of recall. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think that's part of I think that's part of the machinery that kind of grew inside me. Once I was able, I had I had no idea how you became an actor. As I said to you earlier on, yeah. there was no there was nobody in our family could spell acting, let alone know what you do as an actor. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Can I interrupt there though and <laughs> say to you that he has absolutely no problem with his long term memory. He can't remember what he did this morning yes, or yes, this afternoon. Yes. So that's the problem. But if you ask him anything about his past, he remembers everything. And everything. where, and oh where God, did yeah. you and where did you guys meet, Una? Was it on the set of Fair City or what? Because you, you, you're partners in life and partners on the TV show as well. Yeah, we. I was. I had joined Fair City in in ninety eight, and in two thousand and five, they told me that this character was coming in, and um, I hadn't met Brian at that stage. I I knew his brother, so um, that was the first time we met. And yeah. um, <laughs> we and we've still met ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and we we started talking, and it was just one of those things like uh, the way, you know it wasn't that there was any spark there or anything, but we just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked, and we're still talking nowadays. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and do, you, do you mind me asking? Um, did, did you notice that that Brian was beginning to struggle in different aspects, like forgetfulness, or was there difficulty with lines that you were picking up on, Una? Yes. I mean, that was, I mean, little things, the bins, what bin, which bin, where bin. uh, That was one of the things that used to drive me mad. But what really emphasised it for me was when um, we were doing Halcyon Days by Deirdre Kinahan and um, Brian couldn't get his head around the lines. We had already done it. And so it was a matter of of relearning it. And um, he just couldn't get his head around it. And I knew that this wasn't Brian because he could pick up a script and know it very quickly. And that was why I decided. But it took me about three months to be able to say to him, I think there is a problem. And and when I did, he was very receptive to the idea of going and doing something about it. And that's I knew damn well, uh, I mean, with uh, with all excuses. uh, So I don't want to interrupt you, darling. but but I, I knew that there was something not right with me over a period of about maybe four or five weeks. Right. Okay. And, 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 and it was kind of, dear God, is this, is this will an aspro get rid of this? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I and knew that, for a long time, more than four or five weeks. I, I was very aware of it for, for yeah, a number of months. And, and, and there was no way, there was no way I, I thought, will we ever get out of this here, this, this business? And how did you react and, and to, the, to, to the actual news then or, or the diagnosis? Did you accept it or was there denial? No, no I, I, there was no denial. There was no point in denying it because it was there. 
That's and, not and, actually and quite the truth, Brian. You 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 did go into denial for for quite a while. They had said mild cognitive impairment, and that's what Brian picked up on. Well, but that's and what I picked. That's what I was. That's what I was diagnosed as. I didn't say. I, that. I know, but you didn't. Yeah. You yeah. didn't acknowledge the Alzheimer's uh, for a long time, um, and uh, that's why we kept it to ourselves for as long as we did. And it was only last year, really, when we did the the interview in the RT guide, and then did keys to my life with with Brendan, Brendan Courtney. Yeah. That um, that we that it actually came out. No, but we, I mean, Brian was diagnosed own. in two thousand and nineteen. And so. you know, mo- moving to that, was that a difficult decision to make? And 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 why would both of you decide to make it? Brian felt that you know he was able to continue his life. Um, he was able to continue working to a degree. But for me, it was very difficult keeping it quiet and keeping it to myself. And more people were becoming more aware and more concerned. So Brian felt that if he could come out and say to people, look, I have Alzheimer's, but I'm still working. I'm still going about what I do. Life had changed. It had moved on. But he was still able to function with the Alzheimer's and he wanted to say to people, if I can do it, so can you. And there are ways exactly. of getting around things. Exactly. I did read, Brian, that you, you, you had said in former interviews that you had perhaps an emotional breakdown. Then you picked yourself up and moved on. Now, for me, yeah. hearing somebody saying that, that can't have been easy. Although you did come back and say it could be a lot worse. It's not the end of the world. I mean, you must yes, be an eternal exactly. optimist, are you? Well, I've been called an optimist on a few occasions in my life. I have to be honest, going back to Mr. McKnight in the Oblet schools, he said it's great to have somebody at that age being so optimistic. Yeah, yeah. But you'd be the <laughs> pragmatist, would you, Una? Yes, <laughs> very definitely. Yeah. Um, Brian, you'd have to see, you'd have to say to Una now and again. Well, that, that's fine, but we can make it. We could we can do better than that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the yin. It's like the yin and the yang, isn't it? The yin and the yang. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I'm the one who has to has to keep the calendars, who has to keep the timetables, who has to get him to places oh God, yes. for oh the God, jobs yes. that he's oh, doing, yeah. has to make sure that he knows what he's doing. Because, as I said, his short-term memory is gone. And uh, Dee Kinahan wrote a play for him, which I'm sure you, you knew about. I'm aware of it, with Brian it. and his younger self. That's terrific. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But he... Every night was a new night. Every night was a first night for Brian going into the theatre. Can you explain how you're able to act like that, whether it's in that play, Brian, or uh, or your lines in Fair City? Uh, well, well, now I'm 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 fine. Now I'm fine uh, because you know most all of the people in the theatres, you know, um, know exactly what the situation is. My Alzheimer's hasn't got any worse. Uh, it hasn't got any worse, really. And 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 people know what it was, and people know all the rest of it. And can I take to, over there? Actually? Yeah, in, yes, yeah, just in the techni- the technical aspect of the work. Yeah, Una, go ahead. Uh, Brian can't remember uh, anything, uh, not a line, um, and he is now fed his lines in an, through an earpiece. Amazing. So 
Yeah. I mean, at the, be, at the beginning, they were great in RTE and there were scripts everywhere, uh, pinned up on things in folders, in newspapers, <laughs> yeah. anywhere. Whereas now, I mean... You'd have, a, you'd, have a, you'd have a paper with the Irish Times on the front of it and when if you open it up and look in, it's the whole script. <laughs> so you now hear your line spoken to you before you speak it yourself, whether on television or on stage. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, well, well, I... I I mightn't learn it. I mightn't have it in my head. I have a script of it right in front of me knowing exactly what I'm going to say next after she finishes or he finishes saying whatever it is and then I pop in. Yeah. Not, it, not nowadays. But not it's nowadays. A, yeah. not, no, no, not nowadays. It's, yeah. a, pr- yeah. it's, a, it's a prompter. Nowadays. I mean, it's an incredible yeah. way to keep... Because you must have worried and both of you must have worried that this is the end of my acting career. You know, it's, it's, it's over. Yeah. I was I was determined more than you could possibly imagine that this was not going to mess me up with regards with my career because my my career as an actor is basically at the, the bottom the heart of everything that I do obviously obviously you yeah, know yeah. Whether, whether 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 it's in whether it's in Brookside or whether it's in Fair City mm. or whether it's in whatever all of the ones that you mentioned all of the stuff that I did and all of the stuff that I that, that I got and my agent getting on and I'd say oh my god that's fantastic I always wanted to do bloody 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 yeah, blah. yeah. And, yeah. and and, and it, it went on for years I'm telling you and it will and, and it will continue because it's a great way to be able to be able to adapt the lines for you so you continue yeah, you can continue to, to to continue yeah. to practice your craft but from, from a day to day yeah sorry you're going to go ahead it's not as simple as it sounds um there are there are problems that you nobody force you know you couldn't have foreseen either so there are problems to it as well um and it it takes a lot of work and effort around Brian which Brian in himself isn't really aware of of how much um, people are there and uh, assisting. So it is. It, it's quite a big job. It is quite a big job, you know. And, uh, and well, thank goodness for all the happening. people who are supporting it all. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And 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 I think that you know, it, it, Alzheimer's, you know, came in, you know, uh, with the with the C about what ten years ago, twelve years ago. Before that, nobody could spell Alzheimer's. Do you know what I mean? This was all the. This is where it, it all started. Well, we, and, we, we, we all worry, don't we, particularly, and, and I know Una, it's fair to say in both of your lives, both of you had, I believe, mothers who had dementia, I think, and yes. perhaps you had a grandmother as well, and it raises, the, right. it raises the awful spectre of hereditary conditions and things, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you hear, yeah, sorry, yeah, and, and I know what's going to, what's down the road, and things are not staying the same. Things are, are evolving all the time. So I I know what's there, you know, and and that scares me. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to be her? <laughs> <laughs> Not. You Jesus, see, he Mary has no Joseph. worries. You have to remember, he has no worries. He doesn't need to worry because he has no worries. But, so I do the worrying. But what is there to worry about? <laughs> if you've got Alzheimer's, you've got Alzheimer's. You just go ahead and you go go all upwards and onwards. But perhaps you, Una, you face, be, being the realist, is the one who gets stressed or tired or is the worrier. I don't know if she's the realist at all, actually. 
<laughs> He's incredibly optimistic. He says, I'm going to, to fight to keep it at bay. It's very hard to live with. It's very hard to live with because he has no problems, as I keep telling you. Whereas I do get worried and I do get stressed. And I am the one who has to be aware and to make sure that everything is okay. But it's, it's male, female. You know, I mean, ultimately it's male, female. Males are males and females are females and females annoy males and males annoy females. As you can hear, Brian is not as aware as, <laughs> as everybody else is of the situation. I know, sometimes. I know, I know. Even today, all the, all the things that we have to cope with and I have to make sure that you're okay and that you know where things are and where we're we going and what are we doing and... Um, and I, I'm the one who who guides you, who who looks after you. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I've no doubt about you being the one who guides me. Absolutely. But but those things are things. If we didn't have those things, it's called death. It's called what? <laughs> death. Being dead. <laughs> when you're alive, you have a million things going all the way around you. Well, I suppose you work very well together, as I call it, maybe the yin and the yang. But I'm, I'm, ju- I'm just wondering about, you know, day-to-day living. You know, I, 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 I read somewhere uh, earlier on today that to watch a television programme could be a problem for Brian because he, he may not remember the plot. So is it true, Una, that you binge oh, watch God, entire no. series? No. No. Yes, we we if if it's a series, we we will we leave it until the ten. Um, episodes have finished and then we watch it and uh, because that way we remember what's what's gone before and that's the easiest way of doing it um programs like fair city now because we we know all the people in it we watch that as they happen but um and films sometimes say holy god look at look at it What's it? What's it about? And the name is the Sacred Heart of Jesus. But if 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 you're if you're socialising, would 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 you would you struggle with names or, or faces or things like that, or trying to remember people, Brian? No, no, not really. He calls everybody I, I, darling anyway, so that's that's that the get out of jail that. card. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Everybody in acting calls everybody else darling, don't they? Well, no, that's, 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 I that's couldn't what it's call about. anybody darling. <laughs> Well, I, I, I say it, darling. <laughs> you see, that's the kind of darling that we expect yes. from the theatre. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what we well, expect. See, when he starts calling me darling, that's when he's out the door. <laughs> <laughs> that's when he's closed the door, darling. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But, but clearly, Una, you do worry about the future, as you say, but Brian does not seem to do so. You, you, you deem that being maybe something to do with the condition, is it, perhaps? Yeah, yes. Yes, it is. It is. What, what, what condition? In the, in the sense condition? that perhaps Una believes that maybe you, you, you don't realise that perhaps it is a struggle for you. The Alzheimer's a, well, it, it isn't a struggle Alzheimer's. for me. It isn't? It isn't a struggle for me. No. Not now it isn't. It's not a struggle for me. This is a disease that, you know, people have been given. And you know what? As long as you're still standing up, standing upright able to listen to your music, able to have a conversation, able to have a laugh, have a drink, have a good sleep and get up and do it all over again. That's the stuff. Because you also... You see, see, the the conversation that we're having now, with the greatest of respect to you all, the, the, the conversation that we're having now is a conversation that people have in the world right across the planet and have been doing for thousands of years. 
because no matter whether it's, you know, something that's coming down the line or something that they knew was there and that they were a bit scared of it or whatever, but all, all of that, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. Kind of, Una, we shouldn't Una, be I, having I, this I, conversation. I, I get what he's saying, I, I, actually, regarding any kind of a medical diagnosis. I understand what he's saying. It's, 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 it's even a powerful way to put it, don't you? Oh, 100%. But he doesn't realise he has it most of the time, you see. <laughs> so so that's my problem. I do, of course I do. Of course I know I have it. But what I know about it now at the moment is that it's nothing like it was even a year ago. The, 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 the only thing you can do living on planet Earth for so long is to keep fighting. Keep fighting. And I don't mean, I don't mean that you're, you're going to kill people or whatever. I understand you're, what you're, you mean, you're, yeah. You're still alert and alive and going out for us and reading the, 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 the books that you like to read and listening to the music that you like to listen to and getting pickups from people that said whatever you thought and was like, oh my God, that's fantastic. But Una, isn't that it's, a very good way to be? Isn't that a very positive approach in, in spite of, of, of the issues and the real realistic attitude that you have though isn't it all the same no 100% 100% 100% but I can't ignore the reality I know that I know that I know that what would you say (laughs) to someone who's been recently diagnosed what would what would both of you say well I would say if if at all possible to to say it to tell people not to keep it to yourself because it makes life easier when people are aware of the situation and uh, and and people can be more supportive then when you're on your own as we were at one stage for a while it makes life very difficult and there's also supports out there and you can be guided in the right directions as to what is the best way of going about things and uh, so that would be my that would be my thought and if you feel that um, somebody is living with somebody who thinks that this this is the you know they have dementia get help and talk to people and That's would, my... you, would you have any words of encouragement to loved ones caring for somebody like those I spoke to on air recently who are caring for somebody well everybody keeps telling me to ask for help and I'm not very good at asking for help. I I am independent and um, <laughs> I think I can do most things. I forget that I can't. So if I could only take my own advice, which is to ask for help, <laughs> it would help. <laughs> it would help me. But I, I, I think that we need to take time out for ourselves as well. And I have done that uh, on occasion and it has helped me. I've come back rejuvenated, even if it's just a night. I, you feel better. You need to take the time for yourself as well. You need to remember that, you know, you're a, a, a living human being with your own needs and you know, and and uh, you have to. If if you're if you're running on a hundred and ten, you can't give somebody a hundred. No, I know, I know. And Brian, everybody on the planet Earth has something up or down or wrong. Actually, that's well, annoying. We all them, we all do. But I'm saying, crazy. do you do you, would, you would you acknowledge the, how important a part Una plays in your life, though? Obviously, well, I, you would. I, 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 I would, of course. Yeah, I would, of course. Yeah, but 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 I think there's an understanding that you know, as well as, so you have Alzheimer's. You know, oh, you have Alzheimer's, do you? Oh, oh well, sorry about that. 
and 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 I think that that's the way to go about it. Not to make it kind of dramatic, not to make it kind of oh dear, oh shocking. I can guarantee you. Most everyone on the planet who has something like most everyone on the planet who has something not quite right will have those things in in, in the back of their back pocket to actually get out and make sure that we'll make this work. Powerful words to finish on, both of you. Thank you so much for taking the call. It's been an honour and a privilege to speak with you both. <laughs> Thank you. You too. <laughs> Thanks very much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. All the best. Uh, partners in life and also partners in Fair City where they play husband and wife as well. Brian Murray and Una Crawford O'Brien. Um, it, it was, you know, I've done an awful lot of interviews uh, over many, many years, but that was one of the more interesting ones that I've done in a long, long time. You know, the loveliest of couples, uh, very open and honest conversation. You have the positivity of Brian Murray in, in spite of his diagnosis. And, and I understand, uh, you know, Una's uh, realism. She's living with the realism of where they're at and, and where they're going. Um, it's very happy and, you know, very sad. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I guess Brian is optimistic about you know everything in his life glass half full uh, I hope you I hope you got something from that and incidentally the National Alzheimer's Helpline is on 1-800-341-341 but when, even when you just look at his acting career if you can go back to probably one of the best things that RT ever did back in the early 80s was Strumpet City he played the part of Fitz in that of course the Irish RM fabulous part he was uh, Flurry Knox and in Brookside then, he played this character, Jordash, who was a wife beater and a, a really bad, bad piece of work. Uh, and if I remember correctly, there was talk at the, uh, way back in the day that Brian Murray uh, had to mind himself when he was out in public at the time because people confused him as the actor and Jordash, the character, in, in, in Brookside at the time. Um, anyway, your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. Back after 10. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. A big shout out this morning, a special birthday, happy 17th birthday to the lovely Lily Sue Maloney down in Glanmire. Hope she's listening, celebrates her birthday today. Have a great day. There's so many people in your life want to wish you well today, particularly your Uncle Pat, who loves you loads, your mam and your five big brothers. Loads and loads of love. So for you today, Lily Sue, lovely girl, wonderful girl, much loved. Have a fantastic 17th birthday today and enjoy every minute of it. Text 0868 um, So as I was telling you this morning, uh, we recently had two different surveys on Side. One survey just out named Cork as the second friendliest city in Europe. In fact, the same survey reckons that Dublin has been named as the fourth friendliest city in the world and the third friendliest city in Europe. So it's quite interesting, actually, because of the stories coming out of particularly Dublin uh, recently. The friendliest, or one of the friendliest, perhaps, but you wouldn't say the safest now, would you? And I don't know whether you'd say it about Cork uh, as well. Thank you for those that got in touch. I've never felt unsafe in Cork. I've walked around Carrigaline, Cork City and Douglas at all hours of the day uh, through work and socialising. All of these stories are overblown It's an overblown concept that Cork is unsafe. Uh, Ireland is in no way safe, says somebody else. There are a lot of thugs around, as usual, fighting in the streets. And a number of tourists have been attacked in many areas of Dublin. How could you call it friendly? There are more homeless people approaching you for change too. And if you refuse, they have a habit of arguing 
or at worst attacking. No way is it safe to walk during the night time in Dublin. Uh, they must have done these polls before the mass influx of people who came into Ireland. I'd say now we're probably round about 103. Uh, okay, well, again, uh, all too often people tend to, um, you know, generalise about migration into Ireland and try and make out that it's all bad. Who makes these kind of surveys up? They're nothing but crap, says somebody else. Um, the stats are pure lies with regards to safety. Uh, the Irish government will do anything anything to hide the crime rates every day. I go on to RTE News and there's always something. I've heard of more murders in a few months in Ireland than in the two years I've been living here in Spain. I can walk safely here in Spain any time, day and night, alone in Barcelona. Ireland is not a safe place. Can we all not see the crazy things that are happening and all of the people that are being attacked? I have three children and I'm a bag of nerves when they go out, praying that they'll return safely. Unfortunately, this is the Ireland we live in. I would put it down, uh, Ireland, down near the bottom of any list. Um, Are those surveys for real? particularly with regards to safety, you'll be stabbed for two euro going through Dublin City. Uh, Anyone who thinks that isn't... uh, Anyone who thinks... uh, Sorry, I'd be surprised that it... Sorry, that text makes no sense. I'll come back and and fix it up. Who makes up this BS? Ireland is not safe at all, and it's definitely not safe since we had so many unvetted people coming in here. Uh, Thank you for those texts. Keep them coming. Text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone. The Changing Face of Ireland, actually, is an interesting email from from Pat, who's a regular contributor to the programme. He says, I have in the past spoken openly and frankly on your shows. Could I start with RTE? They're seeking €35 million from the taxpayers as a bailout. And the boys at the top of the club want a 10% pay rise. Has anyone in this country learned anything? Quangos? One after the other. RTE and their top earners. I don't need to give the names... But I'd say if you looked at maybe two or three hours of afternoon broadcasting an RTE, you're looking at a combined pay packet of well over 500,000 between them. Don't get me started on local councils and in our case, Cork City Council. To, he claims that, Pattern claims that to earn a good crust, you should put in a good day's work. But once again, the people at the top are not doing their job as some of the workers do about 18 hours work per week, but get paid for 39 hours and possibly get overtime on top of it. I have seen, I suppose, individuals entering the yard at 8 in the morning, leaving at 9.15, back at 12.15, starting again at 2.15, and from 3.45 to 4.55, Monday to Thursday, they park their vans in our area, which I understand has tracking in them, and Friday they do the same from half two to five to four. The drivers sit in the vans, sometimes with the engines running. The entire system is a waste and a mess. We ask for services in our area, and I must credit here, we get most of it the t- most of the time, but uh, I care for my area and my neighbours, and when we ask for work to be done, it might just happen once every couple of years. By and large, the drivers and the workers are nowhere to be found. And that's a text with regards to value for money uh, from the public sector. Um, and I'm noticing a lot of texts then, particularly on a wet morning coming in, and again this morning, with regards to our bus service, a lot of people are very annoyed, particularly with the 214, which I think starts in Glanmire, goes through the city and out to the CUH. So I need to get those texts on the air as well. Um, and if our bus services and the timetables at the bus stops are completely out of kilter, uh, what hope have we with regards to trying to have more buses and less traffic? 
course, the other side of that story is the bus timetables are all over the place because of traffic and cars. And if there was less of it, then maybe the buses might run on time. Anyway, text 0868104106. Calls on the way. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. Maybe the Dublin one was done way before the attacks on various tourists, the lads who came over to Temple Bar, the American who got a very bad beating down around Talbot Street. Maybe all that uh, survey was done before that because those stories went international. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. I really do want to get more texts on air from people who've been contacting me over the past couple of days. I have pages and pages, certainly with regards to, um, you know, issues going on around uh, miscarriage and people sharing their own stories. Uh, If anything comes out of it, of course, maybe it will change the system so that it won't be so clinical and it might maybe be a bit more uh, compassionate. And I know that sounds as if I'm criticising everybody within health or working within health. I'm not, but I can't ignore the stories or the emails or the text. Jody wanted to hone in on two chairs outside the Ashling suite. Jody, good morning. Hi, how are you? Thank you for calling. I know you've had multiple losses and have many stories yeah. about those multiple losses. None of them are good. But um, talk to me about your text where you, it's beautifully written, incidentally, about these two chairs. Yeah, um, I suppose I've had a lot of losses and I need all week to discuss all of them. But um, there was one in January. It was probably one of the hardest ones because I was 14 weeks and I thought everything, you only think when you get to the 12 weeks, everything's going to be fine. Mm. Um, And I think these two shares were in my other losses too. But I think this is when they really hit me, happen to be in that area. Um, When you have a miscarriage, when you're going up to the CUMH, where you have to go, it's the same place. It's not even a full floor. It's the same corner for everything. And it's where you, these two chairs are where I sat, knowing that I was going to be going in. I knew I'd lost my baby. These two um, chairs. We had a, yeah. 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 Um, we had our 12-week scan on the Monday, and it was the Sunday evening, and I started spotting. And I knew, I just knew I'd been there before, and I knew straight away. Um, even though I'd gotten so hopeful with this pregnancy, we had ordered T-shirts the Saturday um, for the boys to tell them that they were going to be big brothers again. Um, I really started to believe at this time it's going to happen. Anyway, spotted the Sunday, came up the Monday. We had our scan for about 11, but we came straight up after dropping the kids to school. And we went into the emergency room. Um, and I'm just bear in mind, we went up into the CUMH and they wouldn't leave my partner into the waiting room. They said I could go into the waiting room on my own or I'd have to sit in the hallway with him and I didn't want to be on my own because I knew the news I was getting. So this is, one of, this is one of the things that through all of the conversations hopefully will change. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. exactly. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I don't want to be telling the story but the reason I am is I'm hoping that someone would listen and just make a change in how women are treated. Um, so anyway, we were waiting. We waited there for about an hour to be called into the emergency room watching all these women come in and out for their appointments. We were brought into the emergency room um, and they didn't want my partner coming in but I actually I just stopped I said I can't I, I refused I couldn't go in because I knew what was going to happen we went in for a scan and I knew the minute the scan was on the screen I saw my baby laying there um, and I knew that, that the baby had passed but you have to go up to the Ashling suite because it's more detailed exam to track the heartbeat and things so I had to go up there to confirm um, so we were sitting in the two seats waiting to be called in um, we were scanned and they confirmed um, now there is one grieving room up there um, it's across the way from the two seats and luckily that room was available for this loss it wasn't for 
other losses may oh, have okay. to so I'm learning something now. There is a yeah. grieving room. Nobody has mentioned that no, over the last it's few It's very years. small now. Which it's, it's basically just a room with a table and two chairs and a box of tissues on the table. Um, so when you're told you've lost your baby, you have to wait to speak to a doctor. But this usually takes four to six hours to wait. Um, each time, I've never had it shorter than four hours. Um, so we sat waiting to speak to the doctor in this room. The extraordinary um, long time. It's a very long time. Um, and you're brought in and I spoke with the doctor and we went through what, what we were going to do. And because of the size of the baby, they couldn't approve me passing the baby at home. They said that it would have to be a DNC. So I'd never had one of those before. Um, so I agreed. And again, then he asked us to wait while he got a date for the DNC to wait in the hospital. So we sat in the two chairs again, because the room at that point had gotten had become occupied. And we sat there for about a half an hour and my partner just said, what are we sitting here waiting for just to get a date? Come on. Um, so we left and we went home. And it was about half five. It's another hour and a half before they even had rang. So we would have been sitting there waiting just to get the call for the date. Um, and we got the date and it was for the week later. So it was a week sitting at home knowing my baby was inside me. Mm-hmm. Um, we Difficult we to say the least. Very, very hard. Um, I'm still dealing with it, to be honest with you, Neil. I find it very hard. I don't talk to anyone about this. Um, so we had the DNC. Um, and I woke up from the procedure and I could see a white box. I didn't know what to expect. I had requested to bring my baby home, but I saw this white box with these little gold things on top and I just look I remember waking up and looking and being is that my baby on the counter like it must be and I wasn't sure and I met the nicest doctor he was oh he was so compassionate fantastic and he handed me my baby um, and at that point they explained to me that it possibly took part of the baby for testing they're not sure yet but they'll ring me in a few weeks so we got the call we brought the baby home and actually, before we brought the baby home, we were up in the ward and the nurse asked me, would I push, would I put it in my bag? And I said, no, it won't fit. No, it would have, but it wasn't it to me with my baby. Yes. Obviously, she didn't want to upset other women. We you see, the, 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 hopefully the insensitivities will be learned, you know. Um, yeah. And, and, and you'll, you'll maybe check before you use terms like that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, she came back in with this tweed bag and she picked up the baby and she put the baby in the bag and she said, here, you can carry it and that. Um, Did you know the I, sex of your baby? Um, no. Okay. No. Um, okay, do I'm just, because if you had, well, you could put him in that, you could put her, you could put the baby in that. Um, you know what I mean? Better than it. Yeah. Anything would be better than it. Well, it was our child. It was our... Your child. Yeah, there's, baby. there's many words that could have been as used. Much, yeah, as much as our two boys here, all my babies in heaven are my babies. Yeah. And yeah. Um, we call them our guardian angels. That's my little boy. He's got guardian angels in heaven. Yeah. Um, so we left that day and we didn't want to bury the baby without knowing for sure that all of my baby was together. I didn't want to bury part of my baby and I guess and have to... I didn't want to do that, so we waited at home and we had the baby up in the drawer with a candle and I had my granddad's rosary beads draped across the coffin. And we got a call two weeks later to say that part of the baby had been taken and to come up and collect my baby. So up again, so up to the same little corner in the hospital, I sat in the two chairs 
handed my baby over well the nurse who was so lovely again she brought my baby into this room which is just across the way from the Ashling suite where they store the babies and she put my baby together for me and she lovely dra- draped them my granddad's rosary beads across the coffin again we waited there for about 20 minutes in the two chairs and oh it's just it was horrible that too um, much for you actually it was very hard um, and then we, our baby was brought out to us you had a panic attack the baby home. this was the the next instant when I ended up in the two chairs so we brought the baby home at this stage and we organised a burial my parents organised undertakers and a priest came and said a prayer it was lovely um, and we buried our baby so there are there are positive aspects to it some positive aspects so far yeah. I mean I just read an email Monday or Tuesday we're talking about um, I don't know was it related to this or another topic it might have been a different topic but it was an email from somebody who said uh, I don't know how long ago but I think it was fairly recent where a priest refused to baptise um, uh, a baby uh, refused to um, baptise a baby because the baby wasn't born alive um, and I found that an horrific way to behave yeah. as, a, as a cleric but you know, you, your your experience with the priest was was wonderful. Yeah, no, it was, and that part of it, being able to bring my baby back and bury my baby, and now have a place to visit my baby, it does that helps a bit. Um, but you referred to the panic attack. Um, this happened. So we lost the baby in January, buried the baby in February, and in May I finally got my referral letter to the pregnancy loss unit. I I knew it was in CMH. I didn't know where. But it was up in the same corner, the same place where the Ashling suite, where my baby was stored, where I had my DNC, that one tiny corner of the hospital. And we took left sitting in those two chairs for about a half an hour. And I sat there and I seen mothers come in and leave with their scans, hugging their partners, obviously delighted because they've seen their baby. And I just couldn't breathe. I, 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 I totally panicked. I, I oh, I had to, I went in around the corner into the bathroom and I just I fell onto the floor. I, I couldn't believe that it was the same place again everything just got so overwhelming and we were brought in for the doctor and two nurses the nurse was lovely but the doctor was just I thought it was counselling or something it wasn't, we were just told um, so if you get pregnant again take aspirin, take gave me prescription of things to take and they just looked and I was, I was like that's not even on my brain why are you saying this like there was no compassion or no nothing and I actually broke down in front of her and I said you shouldn't be bringing people here to those two chairs having them to sit there for your scan having to sit there waiting for my baby to be collected and take my baby home and now sitting there and what's meant to be helping me going to the pregnancy loss unit you know, it's all in the same corner it's just so wrong like something needs to be done there should be a small even if it's in the same hospital a small section in the hospital where women are brought when they lose their child yeah yeah. it shouldn't all be the same thing a little it's, bit more dignified a so, little bit more respect because exactly. you're waiting there of course to bring your baby home under your circumstances while others have scans and great news and are delighted with yeah. everything and you're watching them I mean you wouldn't you wouldn't have a wedding in a funeral home you know what I mean there are exactly. horses for courses and you know, they shouldn't be the same. It's it's so wrong, Neil, like how people are treated. And I have to say, some of the staff up there, they are fantastic. They're not all bad. Like, I'm not here to... Dis- no, you complimented some there, in fairness. Yeah, some of them were fantastic. But but the way that their procedures up there and everything... Like, when I was being brought down from my DNC, both times, I wasn't allowed to have someone with me. So you're brought down to labour and delivery. 
that's the, where it is, down the ground floor. And I had to be wheeled past and wait outside the operating theatre on my own on the trolley while I watched all these women, it's the C-section part of it, all these women with their partners and ringing their parents saying their babies had been delivered and I'm lying there on my own. Uh. There's no one there. there. You're not allowed to have someone down with you because technically I wasn't having a baby, I lost a baby. No, it must have been a very frightening and upsetting time, very anxious yeah. as well. And, you know, also I was, I was moved by your your anticipation that this time everything would be fine after after multiple losses. You've done yeah. so much prep. Baby would have been so much loved. I know you have an angel in heaven, but, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're going from that kind of anticipation and happiness and hope to utter desperation then. You know, yeah. it's awful sad. Absolutely. You know? It was, it was, it I've I've never had a, like, I've, like I said I have good encounters with some nurses and doctors but the way I've been treated and the way the system is and where you are and how it's all plumped into it all my miscarriages it's been the same thing the same weight it's the, you're sitting up there you're getting scanned you're out in those two chairs waiting for four to six hours yeah please change that Every system time. isn't it please change please, exactly yeah. exactly if, if someone loses a baby they should be priority get them in talk to them don't leave them out there sitting there watching people it's so wrong. It's so wrong. Um, mm. It's not an easy oh. thing to come on air and share your story. It's a very no. brave thing to do. Thank you for doing it. You did it very well. You should be very proud no. of yourself. Thank and, you. And please, please, Neil, anyone that rings in about this, put them on air. Leave them, tell their story. And I know some people, like I was listening to some of the texts yesterday, and one particular one that really stuck with me all night, some man texted in and he said, all these women crying crocodile tears over a ball of cells. And I honestly couldn't sleep over that. And I hope that this man is listening that he thinks about those words because they're my babies. They're not balls of cells. Oh, I mean, I'm happy. I'm going to read out some more texts and put some more calls on. I I literally could fill a week with the responses, to be quite honest with you. Um, But but what I I did notice yesterday was some people saying, this is too sad. It's too sad. It's hard to listen to it. Um, And and maybe those people who, who say those kind of things, um, you know, maybe they just they just can't deal with the reality of the situation. It's too depressing for them to hear the stories. But what do you, what what can I do? I mean, I'm just inundated with stories like your good self, Jody, and others like you. So I have to I have to be fair. And I to understand people. That's it's, I think that's a mentality in Ireland. Though brush it under the carpet, we'll pretend it's not happening. But these people that are texting in just realise that someday it could be you, it could be your daughter, your son, nieces and nephews going through this experience. I, and I, I agree with that. I mean, I don't, I, I, I will read out the text and people say, oh, you're nothing but doom and gloom. It's all depressing. Move on. If you any happy stories. But we need to acknowledge that this is the world like that we live in. Yeah. You know? And changes need to happen. And yeah. the more we speak up, the more chance it is for the future that other women will have a better experience and then it'll help them deal with it and the loss easier. Thanks, Jodie. Look after yourself and the family. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Cheers. Thanks Back after the break, text 0868104106. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Text 0868104106. The text that I was referring to earlier on in conversation with Jodie was uh, from Tuesday's program. I lost a baby too in the same way as the girls on the radio. I was 16 weeks pregnant when we found out the baby had died and had to go to the hospital to give birth. But the CUMH were really fantastic with regards to me and my care. They put the baby in a little white coffin and in a quiet room. 
We had her cremated a few days later, but my issue was the church. The priest wouldn't baptize the baby. He didn't seem to see it as a real baby because it was born dead. So that's the text that I referred to earlier on. Pat says, in fairness, health workers have to have a lack of empathy. It's a defence mechanism with what they have to deal with day in, day out. If they were to take all the loss they experience on board, they would be psychological wrecks within a week. Bear a thought for the health workers who experience what you experience once, but they experience it multiple times a day, says Pat. My baby came early and traumatically, so baby went to the neonatal unit for a while and I went to the ward alone. It was during COVID, so there were no visitors. The care I received was second to none, from the nurses to the cleaners to the doctors to the catering staff. Everyone spent extra time with me as my baby wasn't with me. It was very hard not having my baby with me, but I know how fortunate I am that she came home absolutely fine for us with, with us. Uh, a little while after when I left. I had a miscarriage of six weeks. I was crippled in my back and struggling to walk. Went to the GP. When I spoke to him, he told me to go back to work. I was crying so much in pain. He told me to get over it, go back to work. When I rang the CUMH, I explained and they told me to come straight out. I ended up on morphine for pain and got an injection in my back. But I honestly think the nurses in the CUMH are angels and I will be forever grateful to them. Um, sorry to hear of some of the stories you've been dealing with recently. I went for a scan at 16 weeks, found out that the found out that day that my baby's heartbeat was no more. And our world fell apart that day. They explained everything to both of us. I was then moved to the gynecological ward where I was later taken to theatre. I was returned to the gynae ward and brought back to the hospital the following week from my results. I was offered counselling on a weekly basis for 12 weeks. And they were so respectful of our feelings and our loss in the CUMH. I then went on and had two beautiful boys. But my fourth pregnancy was back in Ireland. This was overseas. Uh, My fourth pregnancy was um, back in Ireland, uh, in the Ernville. And my experience was so different. Um, The experience in Ernville was that I was sent home after my scan and told to come back the following week, which I did. It was hard being home, knowing my baby no longer had a heartbeat. I had to walk around carrying my baby for a week and I was tormented. When I returned to the Envil after my procedure, I was landed up to the maternity ward with all of these beautiful babies around me. To describe it as horrendous is an understatement. I was gutted and trying to deal with my loss while all of these new mums were around me with their beautiful babies. I didn't begrudge them and their babies, but I was so envious of them. I was offered zero counselling, just given my discharge papers and told, off you go now, look after yourself and that if there was any excess bleeding, to contact my GP. Um, There should be respect for parents and the loss of their unborn baby. The lack of empathy in Ireland is appalling in this country. So I don't know where overseas you were, but you're describing two different scenarios. One was the overseas loss and the other was the Erinville. So thank you for that text. Text 0868104106. Ashling's on WhatsApp. Ashling, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Um, I'm good. Um, Jody is saying, please allow women to share their stories in spite of some saying there's too much doom and gloom and it's too depressing. How, how would you respond to that? Oh, I don't know. Like, my experience when I went up to the hospital was positive, as in I was put in a room on my own by the telly. The nurse who was dealing with me, she was amazing. Um... So I just had a completely different experience yeah. with some of the women. Yeah, and it's important to hear that. You you were honing in on one nurse in particular 
and you were amazed at her kindness. Okay. Yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. what she's on about with the two chairs. But I didn't even have to sit there for four or five hours. I, I literally got seen straight away um, by a doctor, by the two doctors. And then they went through the whole scenario, like what you have to do. Because there's three different ways. There is. But in your text, it said you had to come up at a later date. Where you yeah, were so they gave me the tablet. So I took, I had to take two, ta- like the tablet. So I had to take one and then I had to come up 48 hours after that first one. And then I was admitted into my own room um, with like a toilet, shower, everything. I was on my own. And then they gave me four more tablets. And that's when I then started passing the yeah. baby. And were you okay about being on your own? Was that your own choice? Well, my dad came up with me. But I went in at 10 o'clock and then at 12 o'clock I got four tablets and then about four o'clock that's when I started bleeding. Um, and that's when I told my dad that he could go home. I don't know, I just, to be honest, I didn't expect what was going to happen to happen. I think I was a bit naive about the whole situation. Like I didn't realise how traumatic it was going to be. There was a part so, of you... There but was that's a... where the nurse... Yeah, go ahead. But that's where the nurse then that's where the nurse then was absolutely amazing because I was on my own. She never really left my side. Obviously she had to go out and do her other jobs and stuff, but she kept coming in and checking on me. And even like there was a part where like I collapsed because I was bleeding out so much. Um because the sack sorry now to be <laughs> disgusting, but the sack was stuck in my cervix, so I kept bleeding. And they were actually prepping me for surgery for a DNC. And she her shift was finished and she actually stayed on later than her shift just to to make sure I was okay. Good. I mean, I, I am, contrary to what some people might think, I am very keen to hear positive stories and good stories and yeah. kind and compassionate stories. But did you have an issue then with, um, um, was there at some stage when you were going through all of this where you would have been in and around other women who were pregnant and happy? The, yeah, the Ashling suite, that little room that everyone's talking about, they do need to sort that out because I was sitting there knowing, because I had to go to the emergency room. I live in England, so it was the day before I was coming back um, and I had a small bit of bleeding and I have a son prior to this, so that never happened to me and my sister brought me up to the emergency room. Um, so the next day then I had to go up again to get... Sorry, now my head has gone all. No, it's it's that when it's, you were in the Ashling, you're describing some of what the other women have been telling yeah. me about with regards to sharing the facilities um, with other people who are getting good news or happy stories or getting scans and the babies are thriving. Yeah, so you're sitting there, and I knew I was after losing my baby. I knew my baby, like what I had was a mis- miscarriage. So I still thought I was pregnant, but my baby was dead for three weeks prior to that inside my body. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know it. So, oh like, I'm sitting there knowing that my baby was after dying. And then I had all these other women who were pregnant and happy. And there, and it's, a t- I mean, a tiny room, maybe eight chairs in there. And you're all confined in this little space. No, that's one of the things. If nothing comes out of this, these conversations, that needs to change. And it needs to change yeah. quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. Okay, okay. Really, really hard. Okay, it's, it's a breaking up phone line, but we got through it, Ashling. Thank you so much for taking the call. Um, much obliged to you for that. And it was one nurse in particular that Ashling had a special mention for and her kindness in staying on longer after our shift. Very sad and scary listening to the stories that the women have been sharing. I wanted to share mine for anyone who may have 
to go through it as it can be quite scary and maybe I can uh, reassure some people I had DNC due to a mis- missed miscarriage. Um, the doctors really pushed for the home management which made the decision even harder but I had been advised by friends to absolutely avoid this option to pass the baby at home and to do a DNC as it was way less traumatic. The waiting to get booked in for it was an, at the absolute worst. It was nearly a week so it dragged the whole thing out longer. Staff were lovely and kind to me as I waited to be brought in. There were other women, though, passing me by with emergency sections uh, as it's the same operating room. Obviously, it's very upsetting, but it's the one hospital and not the staff's fault. I can't fault the midwives, the nurses or doctors I dealt with as they all had lovely words for me. I had a lovely midwife in the room with me who asked if I would like to take home the remains of my baby or have them tested and she explained what would happen. I opted against this as I just wanted closure. Uh, I have since had two healthy babies, one during COVID, and I could not fault the staff and aftercare. So here's a change in, in texts in the recent past. Uh, more positive towards the staff, maybe the design or the layout or the proximity of people who are going through miscarriages with those who are having happy stories and you know getting scans or giving birth or having healthy babies. That's certainly something that needs to be addressed fairly urgently, incidentally. Rebecca, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for holding. So you've been listening to the many stories uh, in the past few days. Yeah. Now, to be honest, I had to kind of turn it off the past year because I got so emotional. Um, and then I turned it back on yesterday and I just found that I, I kind of wanted to come and tell my story. Okay. So just move around just a little bit there, Rebecca, see if we can improve this phone line a little and uh, feel free to talk us through your own story. Yeah, can you hear me now? Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, I was 18 and a half weeks um, when I lost my baby. And what happened is I was actually after going booking um, a private gender scan. Um, so when I went out with my niece and my two sons, <clears throat> um, they they told me that they couldn't find a heartbeat. So I was distraught. <clears throat> and they rang the hospital, they rang the CMH to tell them that I was on the way. Um, Neil, there was two staff members waiting for me when I got there. They rescanned me in the hospital and they just, they confirmed then that there was no heartbeat. Um, they brought me into a private room. I was halfway through your pregnancy, 18 or 19 halfway. weeks. Yeah, I was halfway through the pregnancy. Um, to be honest, it was just, it was just a, a blur. I, was, I just couldn't believe that this was, after, that this was happening to me. Um, and did you have any inclination at all? No, I was perfect. Everything was you know, everything was going normal. There was nothing. I was so excited going out getting the scan, you know, thinking is it a boy or a girl? Having two boys, we were like, maybe the same as the girl. And um, I brought my two sons in with me, which I regret now because they sat there while the staff member, you know, said that there was no heartbeat, which was heartbreaking for them and for my niece. Um, sorry. No, absolutely. Yeah, I understand why you got so emotional earlier in the week. Yeah, so um, that was on a Friday. So they told me that um, they explained everything and they just said that like I could have the option of staying in the hospital or I could go home for the weekend and come back on Monday and they would induce labour. Um, so I decided to go home to spend time, spend the weekend with my kids and kind of get my head around it. At the time, though, people were like, they left you go home knowing that, you know, your baby's after passing inside you. But... I understand now why they've done that because, you know, I think that my body, if they had to start labour there that day, 
I would have probably went into shock. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to to go through all that experience straight away. So I came home for the weekend and kind of spent the weekend with my kids and went back out on the on the Monday and and like they couldn't have you know for one the worst time of my life they they couldn't be as more helpful more compassionate and when I gave birth to my baby he was a boy um, they left me spend time with him Um, they then put him into um, a quiet room and it was only like just two rooms up from the bedroom that I was in and they said anytime I wanted to go in there that you know just call them and they'll open the door and they'll leave me in and I can spend as much time as I want and my family members you know can come up um, and they can go and spend time with them um, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of kindness and compassion there. There really was. There really was. Yeah, um, they had a start. We had a service then um, in the hospital, um, which was really lovely. Um, and then I went to the burial then, and I, I buried my baby boy then. Did you bury? Did you lay him to rest in his own plot, or was it with family? Or um, no, it was in, in his own plot. Oh. Um, no, they did offer me at the time um, an autopsy. Um, which I refused because I just found that, you know, I just didn't, the thought of, of them, you know, going at him and listening to the other lady's story that they took part of her baby. Like, I can't imagine what that was, like, what that felt like because when they offered me to do an autopsy, I was like, Jesus, no, I couldn't imagine anybody now, can I, you know? Yeah, no, that's your instinct, and, uh, you mother's know. instinct. Yeah, that was that was your decision. And and they, did, they did do testing from the placenta. Um, and a few weeks later then I went back out with my sister and they just said like from the test they had done that there was nothing there was nothing wrong um, you know there was you know he was he was perfect basically you know there was nothing to, to say like what caused what caused him to pass away yeah, yeah I know I know the treatment and support that you personally received from the CUH CMH was amazing they it could really have been was. nicer and more comforting yeah. at one of the worst times of your life yeah. Now I will say that um, afterwards, like that, you know, there is there's not enough support afterwards. You know, you just kind of like I kind of went to got like they, there's a Facebook page, um, the Carcass Carriages Support. Um, I was added into that that Facebook page, and I found that very helpful. You know, just like being able and what to is that? Is you just you 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 feel as if you're not alone, and you can have conversations with others? Yeah, definitely. And then you know, when other people puts in, you know, like that, what what happened to them? Um, you know, you can relate to them, and you know, you can text in, and you know, you can comment, and you know, people with private message if you want, and it's it's a very good support um, page on Facebook. Okay, that's another little bit of advice for people who may well yeah. be struggling. Thank you so much. Mind yourself. Thanks for sharing no the story, problem. Rebecca. Take okay, care. Thanks. Actually, one of the points there that Rebecca made is that she uh, she knew the, the sex of, of her baby. Others do, and, and some don't. And it's becoming more common now, I think, for people to have reveal parties. I think that's the correct term for it. Maybe I'm getting it wrong, where... You know, the, the baby's sex is revealed and the, there's a bit of a shindig about it. It involves balloons and uh, colourful confetti and, and what have you. But I read an interesting interview uh, in the latest edition of RSVP magazine with Sinead Kennedy, our own Sinead Kennedy, from the Today Show. And one of the and she's pregnant and good luck to her. Uh, one of the questions asked was, did you find out the sex of the baby? And she says, no. And we didn't the last time either. That's becoming more unusual. I know. I'm finding. She says, people are quite surprised when you don't know. They're surprised you want the surprise of not knowing. She says, for me, I'd rather than not know because I don't care either way. I'm hoping for a healthy baby. That's all I want. If it's a brother for Indy, that's great. And if it's a sister, then that's great too. 
We don't have a preference. I don't need to plan or know in advance, she says. There are so few surprises in the world now, uh, and that's one of the lovely ones. She says, saying that, we have a boy's name picked out, but we don't have a girl's one. If it's a girl, I don't want to panic, choose, because you could regret the choice. It's such a huge thing to name a human, and you want to get it right. It's a lovely answer to a question. But she is one of those, probably a dwindling amount of, of people who don't know the sex of their baby uh, before birth. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Uh, beginning to get uh, recently a lot more positive stories um, with regards to... Now, the layout might well be a problem out there, but there's more positive stories coming out about staff. Sakina, good morning. Hi, good morning, Neil. Um, sad listening, I know. Sad listening, um, particularly because you've been through something similar yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, firstly, I just want to say that I don't want to take away from, you know, the awful experiences that I'm hearing from other women. But just to give to give my story, just it, it was a positive one um, in terms of how I felt CUMH handled my loss. Um, I, I passed for 12 weeks last year. And obviously, you know, like other women are saying, you think everything is... That's it, hunky dory. Um, you passed the 12 week scan. Everything I was fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah everything you. was great. And then you think, this is it now. This is, you know, you feel relieved. And then um, 18 weeks arrived. We're, we're 17 plus 5, but we say 18. And I, I basically started going into labour at home. And the pains, I didn't realise what they were. Um, I was thinking 18 weeks, like this must be something else. It must be pelvic girdle pain or something. I mean, it was my first pregnancy, so I had no clue. Yeah. Um, basically went into labour at home um, didn't know I was in labour went to the, around the emergency room just to explain what was happening and they said come in straight away and I, I went in and I, I drove myself there like, like an, an idiot but there was no one there at the house at the time so I drove myself in and they were, they were amazing from that point I couldn't actually move from the car um, so I rang in and they came out to me. They brought a wheelchair out to me. And um, basically was, was rushed straight into the emergency room with the pain. I still didn't realise I was losing the baby. You were um, lucky you made it to the hospital at all, to be honest. I made it. Yeah. I know, I know. I was, when I look back now, it was really, really stupid. But it was 2am and I, I just felt... Vinnie and this was a waste of time. Um, I, just, I just felt it was, you know, there was better places for the ambulances to go. You're not so sure about that now, but that's in hindsight. But anyway, they brought you in in a wheelchair. They brought me in in the wheelchair and they went into the, um, into one of the rooms and, sorry, now I actually have a baby since, so, Okay, wait, I'll tell you what, that's fine. I'll, I'll allow you to, to gather yourself there if you don't mind because I don't want to rush the conversation anyway and I can pick it up on lots more after 11 o'clock. You have priorities there at the moment. So I'll come back to Sakina. Can I just one just mention one more text? Regarding nurses and midwives being annoyed at the criticism over the past few days, top couple of days, these stories that we've heard have not singled out any nurse or midwife for criticism. The overwhelming topic in all of the stories is a lack of compassion in procedures babies being put in plastic bags the lack of follow-up care and information no one to talk to and not being put in touch with grief counsellors, partners being left outside the door, communication between departments and staff, 
junior doctors not being supervised. It has not been a direct attack on, attack on frontline staff who we all know are dedicated and hardworking. This has been about governance, training and procedures, which I think we all agree is not fit for purpose. Frontline staff should have a vote of no confidence in the HSE, says Desi by text. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. I have a lot of communication from people listening to this programme, by and large um, women um, who have gone through uh, the awful sadness of miscarriage. And I am keen to read out the text because many people are sharing their own personal stories. And were I not to read out uh, as much as I can... I think I would be doing a disservice to people and many of them still grieving. So I think it would be the right thing to do and the kindest thing to do. It's, it's, not, it's not often that you get the perspective of a partner, though, as in a male. Um, Neil, my partner just had a miscarriage. She went into A&D on Tuesday night. So this is just two nights ago. She went in on Tuesday night with heavy bleeding and a high temperature. They told us they couldn't do a scan until Wednesday morning and we could either go home or stay the night. Remember, our partner just had a miscarriage. We opted to stay the night and she was given the DNC yesterday, Wednesday. I was there, but not there, if you know what I mean. I felt hopeless standing there watching my wife in pain, unable to do anything for her. Uh, The staff there were so cold towards her as they wheeled her down to the operating theatre. She started bawling, crying, and nobody opened their mouth to say a word. After the procedure was done, they sent us home. We weren't home an hour when the hospital called to say they forgot to give her a prescription for antibiotics and they would post the prescription out. I think it's an utter disgrace, the treatment that she received. I'm farming all my life and I would treat my cows better than the way my wife was treated. I can get a vet to my animals in 20 minutes and my wife was left suffer in pain for days. I have a sister, a nurse, who says they are burnt out and just waiting to get retirement It's so bad. Despite that, there should be some compassion shown towards patients and their families. I'm so sorry for your loss and uh, appalling the email you talk with regards to the the treatment that your partner and your wife received. I also acknowledge the fact that you're farming and you say that you wouldn't do it to your livestock. Um, And what's even more disturbing is this only happened Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. We go back to calls and texts after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Okay, Sakina, thank you for holding. Um, I I won't keep you much longer. We were at the point of the wheelchair going into the COMH because your story is of phenomenal care. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Richard, COMH, um... So the nurse did all the usual stuff. I was in severe pain now, just bending over and still not knowing. I started bleeding at this point. But anyway, uh, a doctor was called and they scanned me and the baby actually had a heartbeat. So I was relieved. I was like, oh, okay, so what's happening to me kind of situation? And they were so lovely. They, I, was, I wasn't able to let them do um, an examination, you know, of my cervix or anything just yet. I was just in so much pain. So they, the doctor was so lovely. She said, there's no problem. I'll just wait here until you're ready. And then I, the pain kind of subsided because obviously, you know, labour pains, they come and go in waves. I, at the time, again, looking back, I'm like, it was very clear it was labour, but I didn't. And I could see, when I look back now, they knew as well, but they were keeping it quiet from me, really. So the doctor did an examination of my cervix, and she was so lovely, so I'm going to get emotional now, but she was so lovely. She looked up at me, she said, I'm so, so sorry. 
your cervix is, is open and you are having a, a miscarriage or you're losing the baby and I was like sorry what? Like that, but she, she was so lovely. I was like, I'm really sorry. She came up and she actually held my hand and she said, we look after you, don't worry. Like mm-hmm. that. And I I was just, I still, I still was, I didn't really grasp it. I was like, what? I can't be. I'm 18 weeks. I kept thinking that in my head. But anyway, for the next few hours, you know, they, they wheeled me to the labor ward and basically I had to just pass it naturally. And, you know, obviously I was in labor and, uh, you know, the pains and that. And for the two midwives, and I, I still think of them, the two midwives that helped me through that, there was a woman, and I wish I had got her name, but at the time I obviously was, was, you know, I didn't know what was going on really, but she held my hand and I remember her holding my hand and looking in my eyes and saying to me, you can do this, you can do this. Because I kept saying, I can't do it, I can't do it. Because the thoughts of having to pass a baby that would be dead, I, you know, it was, I was like, I can't do it. And they said, you can. And she, I remember her looking in my eyes, I remember her face, and she looking in my eyes and saying, you can do this. And they offered to um, ring my mom and stuff, and they rang my mom, um, I didn't have a partner. And so my mom would have been allowed to come in, I just didn't want her there. Um, through it, I just felt traumatic enough without, you know, the grandma seeing, you know, this happening. So, um, so for me, I was allowed someone to come in if I needed to, and then I, I, I passed baby and um, Joshua was his name. And then the aftercare, you know, they put him in a basket and every, every nurse and midwife that came in to me kept saying to me, he's such a beautiful boy, he's so beautiful. And you've, just, you've been amazing. Like, I, I just, I, and I feel really, really sad for any woman that had wholeness because I think at that time, if I had had that, it would have been, you know, even worse. Well, you didn't. So no, you didn't. And I it's didn't. important to acknowledge. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. No, I mean, I could, I could talk all morning about whether it, it becomes a different scenario with the, with Joshua at eighteen weeks and somebody else maybe. who was miscarrying at eight weeks. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe you know? that's a different maybe, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then I was up to the ward and you know speaking about the, the priest came and I thought the priest would be you know maybe just because I was you know a single parent. And I chose to do that on my own. And I thought he'd be kind of like, oh, okay, you know, the traditional old priest, but he wasn't. He was the opposite. He baptized Joshua for me. And I was in contact with him. We buried Joshua in St. Timbers um, in Glasheen. And there was a lovely little service done by Juliana, who's, the, who's also there with the, um, with the priest. And that the whole handling of it. And afterwards, there was bereavement offered. And now maybe it is because I was second trimester. Um, Maybe that is. I don't know, and it. Maybe, I mean, I, I, like, it, but either way, the there was a lot of kindness, love, and compassion shown to you, there was, and, and that's there important. Was. Yeah, yeah, and you got there a lot really of comfort was. from that now these days because this was, you know, January of last year. You find that comforting. I do. I really okay. find it comforting, and I thought maybe just to. I don't want to, you know, just for other women maybe who are worried about this thing. Like it's, you know, you you. There are good stories as well. Okay. A lot of I've had a lot of them this morning, which is lovely. See the way things yeah. change. Yeah. Um, and because yeah, more encompassing take away yeah. from those bad ones. And I'm really, really sorry to hear about okay. women who have had those experiences. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's not nice. Thank you, Sakina. Thanks for taking no the call. Uh, in, in other news, and I will come back, um, I've got a lot of other stories going, as you can well imagine. I chatted earlier this morning with Brian Murray and Una Crawford O'Brien. They are partners in life and also partners, husbands and wife in in, in Fair City and, and are living with the fact that Brian has uh, Alzheimer's. That was a great interview with Brian and Una. What a realistic, honest couple. 
and that they are at times too honest perhaps but fair dues to Una of course it's very difficult as the carer I reckon it must be one of the hardest roles to play and it takes a very strong person to be able to do it both emotionally and physically and I wish Brian and Una the best of everything in life says Carol uh, what a positive man Brian Murray is I loved him in the Irish RM says Mary Jane and so did I so much so that um, I was thinking recently that I might sit down and watch the entire series again. As someone whose husband has recently been diagnosed with dementia, the interview with Brian Murray and his wife is heartbreaking. You could hear in that interview how difficult it is for Una and how Brian thinks he's coping. He's not coping. He doesn't get how he is, how he is changing and the way he is actually having conversations. Um, perhaps it acknowledges in interviews like that how people move along and they don't realise how further along they have gone. Um, thank you for that. That was a great interview with Brian and Una. What a realistic, honest couple they are. Um, of course, Una, for her, it is very difficult as a carer. It's got to be one of the hardest roles to play. It takes a strong person to do it emotionally and physically. Uh, but good luck to them with everything in their lives. A lot of people then talking, um, and I will come back to calls in a few minutes' time, ask Graphique to hold on. You know, we were talking with uh, Lana O'Connor a while ago about etiquette, particularly in supermarkets and not being on your phone at the till. And I made an admission of guilt and I explained it on air with, with Lana, if you heard that. A lot of people texting on it. Uh, let me just do a few here. I wouldn't be too concerned about the etiquette whilst being at the till in Aldi or Lidl, Neil, because there's little enough etiquette on their part when they're scanning your groceries at 50 miles an hour. <laughs> I find the staff fantastic. They're very chatty and they're a lovely bunch. And I shop a lot in Aldi. Not so much in Lidl because there's an Aldi in Douglas Village. So I kind of move around between Aldi and Duns and and uh, and uh, and Tesco but I do agree with the speed of the checkouts <laughs> I mean, like, it's like Speedy Gonzalez trying to keep up with them. Anyway, in, cl- in complete agreement with using phones at the checkout. Really? It's so, oh, it's bad manners and dis- disrespectful to the checkout assistants. You're saying you're complete agreement about not using them. I had to take a call at the post office counter years ago from a doctor looking after my late mother in hospital. But I did apologize to the girl behind the counter who said quite rightly that she was sick and tired of people doing it on the phone while at the counter. I had to explain the nature of my call. It's acceptable, but I don't think once you apologise it um, that people should keep going on about it. Uh, at least have some level of respect in response. I'm sick and tired of people at my counter on the phone. Uh, what you just said there about speaking on your phone while being served by a checkout operator, while you did apologise, it's only a microcosm of the rudeness that checkout staff have to endure. And I do mean endure. You can see um, at a glance the person and the demeanour of the person that's coming your way as you sit at the checkout. I have experienced this firsthand, the aggression that's been building up as they do their shopping. Reasons for the pent-up aggressions could be anything, even something as minor as not being able to find a product. Checkout staff are at their last point of aggression and they as customers feel entitled then to vent. There's disrespect shown. There isn't a page long enough to write it all down, Neil. People feel a need to give their opinion about everything concerning the running of the shop and the people in it. Checkout operators are just like you and me. They go out to do the best job they can. They enjoy the banter where possible. Please be kind and helpful and then just go home. Um, Just came out of the post office where the guy in front of me was carrying out a full-on video call. I could see the guy... 
that was he was talking to was in bed. I saw their head and the bedclothes. The person continued on the conversation while at the till and I think that was the height of disrespect. Excellent text this morning. Thank you for those. Can I just mention one other thing, um, if you don't mind, because I love bigging up local as often as I can. I was on a bit of a mission yesterday to find Walls Honest Chips. Um, get your headphones on there just for one second. <laughs> I've got my headphones on for something totally different. Seamus, <laughs> have you ever heard of Walls? Has you ever heard of Walls? Honest chips. Wall- They're proper chipper chips. Walls honest. Is this the one that comes in the bag? Yes. Yeah. So the black I bag. Am, there I am scouring up that. and down the freezer cabinets in Aldi yesterday looking for Walls honest chips until I eventually gave up and asked one of the shop workers, did they have them? Were they out of them? Did they stock them? And she off she went with me in tow over to the chill cabinets where I got my bag of Walls honest chips. <laughs> chipper chips <laughs> here we have to go now you see taking That's time out of their day now again busy staff members just because you couldn't find it yourself well you, well you think you're going to get pre- pre-cooked or pre-made chips inside in the freezer cabinets wouldn't you but you, no, they do a lot of the. They, it was in the fridge cabinet, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in the, it was in the, yeah, the more fresh stuff is like in the. Sure, I didn't know. <laughs> I'd never you, seen a bag of. Sure, did not look around the shop to have a quick look, like. No, I looked at all the frozen chips. And I thought they were in there. So I got, <laughs> that's not the point. <laughs> but wouldn't you go away and get your your own honest spuds and make your own honest chips all the time? Local. Sure, if you, no, no, all yeah. the time. But I am supporting local because my sister-in-law, who's down in Whitegate, oh, living in Whitegate, tells in me Whitegate. Yeah, that walls. Right. Chips are from Ballon Ukira, is that right? In Whitegate. And they're a family who have been growing spuds for hundreds of years, and for about 80 years now, or something like that, they have been providing all of the chipped and peeled spuds for many corn ah, chippers. You're forgiven so, then. so they now have started to make their own honest, proper chipper chips, which are pre cooked in beef dripping. Yum. Lads, nice 10 minutes in an air fryer. <laughs> Me Daza. <laughs> I did my own um, chicken wings with like a proper marinade and, and oven chips the other day and they just weren't the same without the air fryer. The air fryer is you just It's your only man. It's just it really no, no, is like going, these are going the oven it's, but it's, it's it, the point of playing. Um, I was just com- anyway, I, was, I was actually I jumping in. a big in. shout out to Walls Chips and Whitegate. Keep doing what you're doing and I would encourage everybody to try out their chips. They're not in the freezer cabinets of your supermarkets. They're in the chill cabinets. Okay. Um, can I just... We were talking about Aldi staff there and being 50 miles an hour running through. They actually have a target that they have they to don't. scan. They, they do? do. They have to scan one item per they second. They don't. That's a conspiracy. No, thing. it's true. There's an X... On Reddit, there's an ex-Aldi employee went on to explain the system. Everything is checked from the moment, the amount of time they spend between customers, the amount of time between the beginning of the... Tra- the, 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 the items being loaded. What is it? One item a second? So they say uh, to be above where they kind of want to be, they want to be scanning one item per second and they claim workers are on a timer from the second they scan a customer's first item up until the point the customer... They're, they're, they're wasting their time because in queues then you see people foosting around then looking when everything's scanned yep. the, tel- the, the, the shop assistant is sitting at the till waiting yep. they're foosting around looking for debit cards or credit cards or forgetting their pin or putting the card in backwards yep. so it makes it a nonsense or, or the person this is a really annoying one you know the person that gets all the way up to the top of the middle and goes oh jeez the milk and then they're gone. 
And you, everyone is standing around like a plum in the line waiting for him to come back with the two litres of milk that they forgot to put in the first place. If you forget something in the checkout line Why and you're, you're, you're... Go you to the back of the queue. You should go, you should go back, to the, back to the queue. What yeah. if all your stuff is up on the belt? Well, oh, well, oh God. Then I don't know. Wait for like. Just be courteous. Give him a couple of seconds, man. Let him go and get the milk. No. It's going to take sixty seconds out of your day. Yeah, well, that sixty seconds could be a lifetime in Aldi. Times. That's Eldred. that's sixty items they get could have scanned through. What's the rush? Just have a look around. Just you know, chat to somebody I, I, in the queue next to you. I wonder though, is the next step for Aldi and Needle to have the self-service things? Because I think that's the only reason why people don't go into Aldi and Needle is because of the queue times. I was in a super value recently and I was muttering and mumbling to myself, all of the tills are gone. Right? They're all self-servicing. Oh, yeah. Here I am doing their work for them. <laughs> Fit up for this nonsense, looking for a bag and scanning this and this bloody thing and the thing goes off and then the shop assistant they come over and put her card in to make it work again. Yeah. Um, I was that close to saying, why am I, why am I doing your job yeah. for you? And where are the chips? <laughs> And why, why would I do this? I'm going to do you out of a job. But anyway, yeah. But anyway, Walls, Chips and Whitegate. Check them out. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Get involved in the conversations. Text 0868-104-106. And I will read out some more uh, texts again in a few minutes' time. But I'm conscious that Rafiq's been holding for a while. Rafiq, good morning. Yeah, good morning to you. You have How a. You, I'm good, thank you, man. You have a memory in your head uh, that's never left. It goes back 27 years, I believe. Yeah, yeah, quite right. I, the, my daughter born in um, that was 1995 in May, and uh, it was Erinville Hospital at the time. Erinville, and, uh, and she was yeah. born two weeks premature. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and um, and she was. She's good still. Uh, thank God. But um, what I saw is the baby was taken by a cesarean section. So when the baby born, I was waiting outside, and they called me to see, I saw, and then I was waiting again. And um, I was walking, like, outside, and I walked past the corridor, uh, which probably I suppose not to go, the double door. Mm. And I saw this nurse, or the midwife, I don't know, was carrying a baby, uh, my baby just on a single palm, you know. Your baby. And, your, my baby, yeah, carrying a, through the, on her right hand, on, on top of her right hand, on a single palm, and she could have fall down, you know, not holding on left hand or anything, and not any clothes around her to keep her warm. She just came out of the womb, you know. So I was like, a little bit astonished, and I looked at and she waved me to go away, like that I, where I suppose not to be. Yeah. Like, you know, so I even beyond, and I stay quiet. But I was only in my teens, you know, I was like, uh, you were young. Yeah. Young, and I just told my wife, and later on I said that we forgot about it, you know. But I, I was unhappy. But then the baby was, after they went to intensive care, you know, for um, for five days, you know. Yeah, yeah. Often it's like, you know, I hit by memory that I thought someday I'll mention something, not to take anything as offense so much, but, you know, to, to whoever is in charge or, you know. Well, I have to tell you, I don't know if you ever thought about it enough to think that that nurse had to get your baby to Neo and get that baby into, uh, the, as we used to call it, because my daughter was in Neo for quite some time when she was born, we used to call it her little jar, get her into her little unit uh, to get her warm and get her hooked up. And uh, it, that the nurse may have been in a rush to get your daughter there. But I, I, I thought we would take it out. You, um, you still, it's a quite long room to walk around, you know. I thought you still, you should have taken some clothes or something around it, like, you mm. know, 
or mm. holding two hands is on a, on a single palm she was not in a rush mm. she was walking slowly um like you know like normal walk on a right a hand palm you know just holding the baby is quite small she was like uh, born too premature and i think she's less than 5 pounds or 5 pound ish yeah. and uh, so it is just kind of i thought at least the clothes should be around her, i know, you know or a towel or so something like that a towel yeah. or something yeah. i thought yeah. i'd make a point you know yeah good stuff uh, thank you for that um i have uh, an awful lot of fondness and and um you know um thanks to what was the neonatal unit at the Ernville way back in the day because my own daughter was born very, very prematurely and was weighed an awful lot less than Rafiq. Rafiq's daughter did at the time uh, and it was touch and go for a long time. She's an absolute flyer now and is, you know, just rocking the world. But back then at the time and anybody's been through it or spent any time with the baby looking in through the little uh, plastic cabinets that the babies end up in, the little incubators, very worrying time, uh, but the care and uh, attention was just awesome. Uh, not everybody is um, really all that happy with their conversations, and far from me to uh, be editing them. It's very sad for sure. Um, I'm sure that other people will agree with me when I say that you're really gone overboard on this, and it's nothing but depressing. The point has been made. Love the show. Turning off. Won't turn back on till Monday. Maybe you will be talking about other subjects, says Joe. But what I'm trying to do this morning, um, because I have been spending some time trying to get people's emails and calls on air out of respect and to have them an opportunity to share their story. But I am trying to mix up other stories as well. Mind you, life is hard enough for people than to be listening to this. It's a joke. I understand people need to talk. But a day, perhaps two, is enough. No need to be go- keep going every day. It'll probably be the same depression tomorrow. There you have it. Marie says, I'm so sorry for the women who lost their little babies, but why are they putting themselves through this and dragging it all up again? For what? God's ways aren't our ways. To look at what you have and move on is the way. No doubt you will never forget. I had no children when I had my miscarriages and I was scared in case I'd never have a baby, but thank God I did. Moving on in life is the answer. We can't do anything about the past, says Marie in Clon. My daughter had a miscarriage two weeks ago. She attended, this is, this is a positive one, she attended the early pregnancy unit now located at the Kinsale Road. The week after her scan, I attended with her. There was no question of me being at the scan or meeting the doctor, but she was dealt with in the most caring manner by the sonographer and the doctor. She was given the medication to take at home uh, for the miscarriage two days later and was given the option to attend for a scan two weeks later, which actually is today. While I feel for the ladies and women who have contacted your show over the last few days, I feel it's important to share our experience. I could not fault them. Uh, and one final one, and then I can uh, um, take some more uh, calls. Listening to the show, I attended the Pregnancy Loss Clinic yesterday, like that lady. And I would also like to say that the worst part of it was the stupid, sorrowful corner in a hospital which is also full of new life. I had to tell them every miscarriage I had in detail, even though they had my history in front of me. They did tell me the Ashling Suite had been moved out of the CUMH, but the recurring loss clinic needs to stay there because it's horrendous. Yesterday took a lot out of me. Can't come on air, but I need to protect my heart today. Um, 55 years ago this month, I lost my son, my first son, when I was uh, seven and a half months pregnant, I was hemorrhaging internally and I was very, very ill. It was a nightmare. However, one staff nurse changed my life with a simple gesture. After my baby was born, she asked me if she would baptize my son and she did. Um, she told me she had hands blessed by the Pope 
to guide her when delivering babies who have died. She told me that I would have an angel watching over me all of my life. Isn't it strange and primal that this one gesture was an actual lifesaver? Um, and you've never forgotten that 55 years ago to this month. Thank you for it. I feel sorry for the staff in the CUMH over the last few days. It is true that pregnancy loss is so terrible and isn't talked about enough. But I feel like the staff work hard in a hard area of pregnancy. It takes its toll on the staff's mental, mental health as well. So it is unfair to focus on just the negative in the service. I find it hard to believe that not one person has something good to say and hasn't contacted you to come on air. I know there are negatives and I feel for those people, but it would be nice to hear something positive and nice, even for the staff to hear it. Now, imagine that text was actually sent uh, yesterday and you didn't hear the more positive stories that we certainly have been getting over the last few days. Do keep them coming. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Well, I give a big shout out to all of the staff at Ward 5B in the CUH. From the emergency room up, they're just amazing. I was in there last Thursday and came home yesterday. I had a bad chest infection, asthma, then my lung collapsed. I cannot express how amazing they are and they don't get enough credit. Making things worse, I can't go on holidays with my husband and kids tonight to Spain. And my niece's passport didn't come, so she can't go instead of me. That's from poor old Imelda, who's down in Ardfield in Clonakilty. They're going off to Spain. For how long? Is it, is it a fortnight without you? Oh, my God. That's a bad stroke of luck. But listen, get well, and it won't be long before you'll be on an airplane yourself and heading off. Text 0868104106. I promise to do some more texts from people over the coming days with regards to their stories that shared, because it's only the right thing to do. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Uh, talking about some of the things I mentioned earlier on, restaurants in France, you don't have to go across the water for those nonsense restaurant extra charges. My friend was in a Cork restaurant two weeks ago go and decided to share a sandwich and chips with the person that she was with. Not only was the cost in the sandwich ridiculous at €13.90 for a sandwich with some chips, but they were charged three fifty for the extra plate because they were sharing. Now, that's a business that shouldn't be supported. I know, for one, I wouldn't darken those doors again. Now, um, if, if, if you wish, I can actually contact the restaurant before naming it to find out if that was the case and see if they can stand over it, which is what I'm going to do before mentioning it. I suppose you have a customer who comes in, takes two tables, sorry, t- takes two chairs and a table. Only one of them order. Then they order one sandwich and chips to split between two people. Can you make a point for the restaurant? I'm desperately trying to maybe try and make a point for the restaurant that really you're taking up a place. You have somebody sitting there, possibly got a, maybe a glass of water or something for free. And then they decide, but I know it's hard to, it's hard to justify. The sandwich and the chips were €13.90, an extra three fifty for the second plate to share the sandwich. So your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 868 And we will check later to see if that is policy. It might be happening elsewhere. I don't know. Uh, Customer service, it's always a difficult thing. Now, I just want to go back to a topic from earlier on this morning with regards to McCartan Street because it seems to be going on for an age. It's the front and inside page story 
making the echo today where retailers there, to say the least, are concerned as to how long more this is going on and the impact that it's happening, having on business. I think I might be right in saying that it's just not McCurtain Street in the Victoria Quarter, Victorian Quarter, but also the likes of Devonshire Street, that area there, also probably Leitrim Street, Coburg Street, areas like that. Willie O'Brien is the owner of Spar McCurtain Street, lives above the store, lives above the shop, and he's a regular contributor to this programme. Willie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. That we're speaking this morning is deja vu because you actually have been in my head since Monday. All pure, I assure you. All pure. Why? Um, I was away and I'd, I didn't realise your dad had passed away. So my sincere Oh, thanks, Willie. My old buddy. I actually, but to be honest with you, I had actually intended dropping your line. So it's ironic that we're talking this well, morning. Well, thank you. You're a good friend. You're a good friend. That. Thank no you for that, Willie. Listen, just, just tell me. The front and inside pages of the Echo. How, how long has it been going on and how bad is it impacting business? Well, you know, we're, we're, at the moment we're speaking about the issue in relation to the roadworks taking place at present, but it, it's not just about now. The issues, you know, and the work going on here really has been happening over the last four years, because four years ago, but people may not remember, we had the roadworks uh, taking place in relation to uh, the uh, Irish water, and that went on for a bones of a year, and this, uh, the street was inhibited at that time. Then we had two years of lockdown, and then at the beginning of this year, the current roadworks that are taking place at present uh, began. But thankfully, it's coming to an end, and the end is in sight and I look forward very much to seeing the day when there's when there's no obstruction <laughs> on the street and uh, we'll have to learn what normality is like again And what difference is it going to make to McCartan Street? Well, you know there's a movement not just here in Cork but nationally and indeed throughout Europe uh, of trying to urbanise and pedestrianise city centres more and more and make them more user friendly and it's all part and parcel of that, that overall plan which in theory is very very positive and I look forward to seeing what's going to happen. Okay, is that going to be yeah. one way, two way I know there are much way. wider footpaths The idea with the traffic in relation to traffic at the moment, you see I suppose over the last whatever, 20, 30 years the, the street has been like a, a, a runway uh, a rat race for people out of the city whereas now they intend taking a lot of the traffic up to 70% I believe of the traffic off the street and moving it down into the Keys uh, so therefore if you want to go north, south, east or west the um, the Keys as such become like a big roundabout and then you branch off wherever you want to go be it north, south, east or west and the street here becomes two way so the, by as a result it probably should slow down the traffic and take the, the rat race out of it Back to where, the way it used to be many many years ago Back to the way it used to be long long time ago long before my time maybe in your time not my time <laughs> Definitely in my time <laughs> Time. Yeah, absolutely. I can remember it. I don't remember it when it was King Street, but I do remember when it was two-way. <laughs> I've only read about it, Neil. I've only read about it. <laughs> but there are some retailers talking, and I don't want to you know, be going into the, all of the detail in the echo, but one is saying, one retailer said, the day trade has just been destroyed. I, I'd be fine with a 10% drop, but we're talking about a 90% drop. And I think that might be uh, somebody who sells wine by day and is a wine seller bar by night. Okay. It's an incredible drop. I mean, have you noticed a drop? That seemed, yeah, we certainly would have dropped about 20%, to be honest. And you're all right with I that. You seem to be taking it on the chin, like. Do you know what now, Neil? Just like this, you know, the human being is an extraordinary creature. We'll adapt to any situation if we're given the challenge. <laughs> we really will. We're, we're very adaptable. In fairness, we're like, we're like water. <laughs> we'll find a way out somewhere. And I, I suppose I've just got used to it. As I said, it's not just about now. It's not about uh, 2023. It's been going on for the last four years. So therefore, you know, we've had to re-adapt, re-adapt you know, 
year in, year out, to the situation at the time. And please God, we'll have a new reality, a more positive reality, and I suppose I look forward to the future with hope, um, because I, I, I love this street, I live here, I, I have a very, it's my, more than just a vested interest here, it's, it's my home, um, I'm from Tip originally, but Cork is now my home, and Curtin Street is where I live. So I, I, the, the prosperity of the place is very, very close to my heart. And I'm looking for, I, 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 sorry for interjecting here, but I, I love in particular at this time of the year going forward, we say from the, with the Jazz Festival and into Christmas, um, because there's a, there's a, I sometimes would actually go down onto the street just to capture the atmosphere, to savour the atmosphere, there's a beautiful atmosphere. Um, it always reminds me of the West End of London, where you have the theatres and the restaurants and the bars and that kind of thing. And people, you know, in the wintertime, we dress appropriately to the season, be it Christmas or Halloween or whatever case may be. And for the jazz, you know, people dress up in their different uh, costumes and outfits, mm. whatever the case may be. And, mm. and people are in, you know, they're, they're looking forward to having a good time and one can almost savour the atmosphere, one can almost touch it. Actually, there's a fierce there's a fierce sense of camaraderie amongst the businesses up there. If you were to look yes, at any street that has, there's an incredible you know, like, buzz there. Yes, I, oh, no, I, yes. I mean, it's been somewhat inhibited by all of this the scaffolding and the big uh, metal railings and whatever. But there's an incredible buzz. I was driving up there one night. I don't know. I was going to the, pick somebody up off a very late train. Mm-hmm. And McCartan Street, it was like a Wednesday night or something, and it was buzzing, and there was people outside the yes, Shelburne I, I sitting it's, down. It's all part of the social change that probably is taking place, you know, uh, each and every day. Uh, there's a great movement towards restaurants and that kind of stuff, and as you know, that we've had a lot of a lot of restaurants in the area, and a lot of new ones have come in, in recent times. And, the, you know what I mean, they're, they're hopping every night, to be fair, that they, they, they are busy every night. It seems to be yeah, just try and get into the glass curtain. Yeah, go to the place go, like go to them for, um, for a beer afterwards, whatever the case may be, it just seems to be the new way, new trend of so people socialise. What's it like living uh, over the shop? It's an interesting you know, thing. For the most part, it's actually very good. It's very positive. Um, no disrespect to people in the taxi business, but I have no problem getting a taxi home. <laughs> but you've no, you've no back. <laughs> I need a walk or crawl. <laughs> so you just come downstairs, you go out, go for a I pint. I just arrived, Dean. I just arrived. Go for a bit of food. No, But no back garden or anything, or, or do you have a magic garden up there somewhere? That's a secret. <laughs> the secret garden. I have a little space up the back. It's out in a little roof garden for myself out the back where I have my little window boxes and I can sit out there in the summer and uh, put out the barbecue and that kind of thing and it's a little oasis on its own. Willie, and, you're uh, living the dream, kid. You're living the dream. <laughs> it's a secret, don't you? I'm not telling anyone. <laughs> Listen, what, what I have you, I don't mean to catch you on the hop here, but we were talking earlier on about etiquette at the counter, right? Mm. I was... Yes. Caught yesterday because I had to take a call. I apologise to the person at Aldi. I just couldn't stop the call at the checkout. What's the etiquette? Because um, you you have a big shop there and you have lots of people on the yeah. tills. Is it is it a case that people are on their phones while they're doing their business at the till? I actually would say, and it's a whole, totally a whole new conversation, different conversation altogether. It is. You know, addiction is something, you know, you often speak about, you know, and we, we often think in associate addiction with, with people who are drunk or on drugs or whatever the case may be, but it's a much, much uh, broader uh, field, a much, much broader field. And I would think the biggest addiction that we have as a society, as a generation, and not just in Ireland, but throughout the world, is the mobile phone. We're addicted to the mobile phone. And if any was even trying to switch it off for half a day, we feel lost without it. We're almost feeling naked. Or I can't disagree with that. Yeah, but and yeah. we have to, we as a generation. It's you know, twenty years ago, it was only coming into being. Now it's 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 children are only born with one. So we actually, as a people, 
have to learn how to use our phone and control the phone as opposed to the phone controlling us. Mm. There was a text this morning there from somebody who was in the queue for the post office and the fellow was up mm-hmm. at the counter doing his business with the with the teller at the post office and he was whole, he was he was partaking in a full blown video call. That's yeah. a, that's a no no for staff, I'd say, is it? No, it, it, it makes it, it rude, it, isn't it? It's, it's rude. Apart from anything else, it's rude. And what I find funny, you know, people now are uh, taking up six week courses on mindfulness and that kind of stuff. You know, if you're on the phone talking to somebody who's in bed somewhere, uh, somewhere not here, well, you're not cognizant of what you're doing, are you? Yeah. Your yeah. mind is elsewhere. Yeah. So you know, people don't have to go and learn it at all. Only just be conscious of what you're doing and where you're at and what you're. Do- you know what I mean? It, it is disrespectful, and and very often, you know, we find people are on the phone and you're they're calling them and. And, and just the person behind him has to tap him on the shoulder and say, listen, they're waiting for you over there, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it would be far <laughs> worse if it were aggression. There was a text then from somebody oh, who works no, on the tills well. in the a supermarket. Totally, that's the total no-no. That is the total no-no. And we've had that. And it's something that seems to have come about since, you know, since COVID for some reason. You know, you'd have people maybe drunk or awkward before. But the aggression part is, is something that that is very, very noticeable. And not just here. Not just here. It seems to be a kind of a, something that's permeating society uh, under, like, it's almost like an underlying condition that yeah. breaks out every now and again I, I have perspects up there at the moment that we had there for COVID but I actually have left them there and I was a kind of inhibitor to people who'd lash out We've had, or potentially I, I got, could I got hit three out. times in the last oh, year and a half at this stage I got hit three times I know that we've had the perspects brought off the ceiling on two occasions uh, uh, which is totally 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 unacceptable totally unacceptable. In actual fact, one situation was in relation to a guy who wanted change. He wanted, he was a busker and he wanted to change the money into cash. We had a shift change here and the cash wasn't in. We don't have as much, you know, we do, our cash is very limited now yeah. because we okay. can pay by credit card. Yeah. We didn't have the, the, the cash to give him for his coin and uh, the chap, now it could have been a racial thing as well, the chap concerned was from India and your man got into a tantrum and he actually lashed out, hit the perspex and brought it clean off the ceiling. Good God. Not just that, not just that, not just that. The guy left, anyway, in a huff. Off he went and arrived back about 10 minutes later looking to have a go at the fellow again. God almighty. That's nuts. Yeah. No That's one should thing. have to deal with that in the workplace. No, 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 no. Totally unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. Um, and that person really, <laughs> they need to be taught a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's I mean, totally I mean, unacceptable. That's assault. Totally unacceptable. You know, that's assault. Yeah. You know. No, that's it's very assault, serious. Yeah, but yeah. We, that's happened on a couple of occasions. You know. Now, don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong. It's that's not just on McCurtain Street. This can happen anywhere. Mm. It can mm. happen anywhere, not just in corporate in Ireland. Mm. Mm. This is, I have people have situations from other retailers of the country uh, where they've had similar scenarios. Yeah, people just need to learn patience and respect and a bit of kindness and you know, yeah, a bit of manners. Um, Manners, basic manners, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Good man, it's good man, acceptable. good man, stay safe, look after but yourself. Anyway, listen, and you too, and good to hear you. You too, Keep take care of yourself. All right. care, okay, God very God positive God. guy, always very positive guy, wonderful guy, Willie O'Brien from Spar on McCurtain Street. Uh, text 0868104106. We were talking about uh, punditry earlier on with regards to what. Uh, Kevin Keegan had to say um, that he doesn't want women talking about the men's game. Interestingly, Texas says, I have to agree with Kevin Keegan because they talk a lot of crap. But then again, in rugby, they can't shut up. So I, I think you're, you're actually, you're saying that maybe uh, a lot of the time, the actual people who are commentating 
talk way too much. Um, I did see something there, actually, it was bizarre to watch it, and it's completely off topic, but there was a disallowed um, uh, Liverpool game goal at the weekend where they were using VAR and they made a complete hames of a legitimate goal. And I suppose the equivalent to that would be, is it called... TMO, is it, or something like that in, in, in rugby? Anyway, on sports punditry, what, are all, what about our own Jackie Hurley or Joanne Cantwell? Their knowledge, their attention to detail and the confidence they show in leading sports programmes in RTE is second to none, in my opinion. Well said, well said. I disagree that Micah Richards is very... I I disagree, I suppose this is what Kevin said. Micah Richards is very well researched and very knowledgeable. Roy Keane keeps it real. As for Kevin Keegan's comments about women, I mostly agree. And it's an opinion not to be offensive just because I'm saying it about women. But if, but if if you agree with him, you're saying that only men should be pundits with regards to, um, the male soccer game. And that women should not be allowed to be part of a panel. Isn't, isn't that kind of what you're saying? Anyway, text 0868104106. Oh my God, listen, I want to do this quickly because I did promise um, Cormac because he's um, um, lengthy, lengthy contact this morning. Do you remember earlier on I mentioned the 214 bus, bus which uh, does a lot of different things. This thing starts out in Glanmire, goes into the city and out to the CUH. Cormac, good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks. I, have, I have about four minutes and if I get other calls and stuff and I'll come back to the morning, but it's, for me. it's chronically late all of the time, is it? Go ahead. Correct, correct, correct. Now, look, I understand there are bigger problems in the world, but I think it's worthy of note. <laughs> well, it is if it's happening to people every single day and they're late to work and missing appointments. And, and it is every day. It's, it's it going to the CUH. Go on. How, how bad is it and why is it so bad? Well, look, it, it, there's nothing new here. Like, we've we've heard about this in, in the Echo, in October 21, September 22, and I dare I say it might be in October 23 as well. It's on Reddit, it's on boards.e, it's on Facebook. People are constantly complaining about this, and it's always the same story. You have people in Glenmire notice board giving out about it. There's elderly people are stuck in the bus station waiting for the rain. You know, it's, 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 it's chronic. Know the bus service displays at the different stops. They, they yeah, tell yeah. you how long the bus is going to be. Surely, is that yeah, yeah. Look, I I think those things are a waste of time. It, like you'd be as well watching them as telling the tide to stop coming in at night time, Neil. Frankly, really, yeah, yeah. I mean, even yesterday, now there was it was jumping around the fifteen minute mark for a good forty minutes. So you know, I'd rather not look at those things. <laughs> I'd rather not have those things <laughs> and <laughs> and not know. Do you know? Because people are expecting it, the clock is ticking, it goes down to... Yeah, does it, you, does it say arrived? You're not, you're not, it says due. It gets to its, it, it, if it gets down to zero, it says due, and then it might disappear, and then it, it, it's a ghost bus situation then. Again, this, this, this has been reiterated time and time again by people, you know? And, you know, it's, it shouldn't be a case where a city bus is, is less frequent than a bus going to Bantry or, you know, or somewhere in West Cork. It could be worse. I got a photograph during the week sent to me. Don't know who sent it. Can't even remember where I'd find it now. But it showed four 202 buses all arriving at the same time. It was due to traffic congestion. One caught up with the other. Indeed. Four buses. Look, there's no surprise there, really. (laughs) This has become the norm. So I think, you know, people are almost used to it. But people are getting very frustrated. And I think, you know, the only way to make a change at this stage, because I don't know what, what's happened with the complaints and stuff like that, but maybe hit them where it hurts in the pocket. 
you know, or even <laughs> if the bus company was able to give me a little note that brought me to my boss and said, look, that's why I'm late. I'm not talking to myself there. I'm just saying in general, because people are losing out in money. You know, people work How shifts. late could you be? I'm usually not. I always figure it out, but it, it's, I, I'm getting up crazy hours in the morning to make it in time. So tell you the truth. I, but you you I, say that it can leave elderly passengers waiting for extended periods, sometimes over an hour. A what? An absolutely. hour? Absolutely. 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 Especially on Patrick Street, heading towards the COH, where they might have appointments they need to make, you know? But they could well be getting on a bus to go to the CUH and it could be lashing rain and windy and everything. Windy. And then they go. They have to go see the doctor about something else then on top of it. Okay, okay. And the main reason for it, what do you think the main reason is? I really, I couldn't tell you. I really, I haven't the slightest notion. Like I've been getting the, the 14 bus in its previous conception since the 90s. You know, I'm from Toker and that, that's where I've always got it from. It's always been bad, but it's been especially bad in the last month or two. You know, I've never felt inclined to contact the media about it. But if there were less cars on our roads, you know, they have this ULEZ charge in in the UK now, which is the urban tax that you have to pay if you have a dodgy, polluting car. You can't go into cities or you have to pay a fine for it. Isn't that going to help if there's well, less I couldn't, cars? I, I can't blame people for using cars if the buses have gone this way. You know, is, is it the true. chicken and the egg now That's with the buses true. and the cars? That's like, like, I don't know. That's true. <laughs> That's a All different right. question. Okay, let's see if we get some more calls yeah. on it. Gave you an opportunity to vent. Thanks, Cormac. Thank you. Text. I say you're not used to it. Thanks to you, Neil. <laughs> Bye-bye. Text 0868 on that one. I mean, also, do you think that we will arrive at a time, whether it's Dublin, Cork, perhaps Limerick, maybe Waterford and, and you know, Galway also perhaps, some of the bigger cities, but certainly Dublin and Cork, where there will be some sort of a congestion charge. Text 0868 Pick up the phone on 0818 To those who have texted me in the recent days with, um, you know, very sad and very personal emails and texts, more of those tomorrow and lots more besides. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.